Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Batflip Crazy podcast, where you'll always find enthusiastic, data-driven fantasy baseball analysis and strategy. I am your host, Toby. Uh, today is episode 18 of Bubba and the Batflip, and it is the first in our series of position previews for the upcoming 2020 fantasy baseball season. Today we cover the most exciting position, uh, catcher, uh, and we do so for two hours. And while that might give you a little bit of concern about how you're going to spend the next two hours of your life, I assure you that this is the best catcher preview you will ever listen to. Uh, You have my assurances on that piece. All right, a couple notes before we hop right in because I want to keep the intro short. Number one, you will notice that the podcast now has ads for the first time. I've tried to keep uh, it ad-free for as long as possible, but given the time I'm dedicating to uh, this fantasy baseball endeavor and the podcast, generating a minimal amount of income from it seems like uh, at least the smart move uh, to do. And I'm fortunate to have other sources of income, so I'll try to limit it to uh, products that I use myself and enjoy, like Anchor, as you heard uh, earlier on, and and that I do really believe in. Uh, Second of all, just a quick congrats to Anthony Nonis at Papa Nonis on Twitter for winning the Fantasy Baseball uh, Forecaster giveaway uh, that we held uh, over the holiday period. And thanks so much to everybody who left a rating and review. I really can't tell you how much uh, I appreciate uh, your continued support of my work uh, and the podcast. All right, if you'd like to leave a rating and review on iTunes and you have not yet, uh, please do so. That would be awesome. You can reach me on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy, and Bubba is on Twitter at BDentric. His podcast is also great, uh, Benched with Bubba, if you want to listen to that. All right, let's get this party started. And welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Bubba and the Batflip, episode 18. Uh, we got, we're doing position previews finally. We've recapped positions from last season, looking ahead to this season, kind of gave you a glimpse into the crystal ball for the 2020 season, which still sounds weird to say, really does. But um, you can find me on Twitter at BDintrick. My co-host who's going to help me preview the catchers. Yes, the catchers, the best position to preview in all fantasy sports. You can find them on Twitter at BatFlipCrazy. Toby, how are we doing, my friend? We are doing great, Bubba. It is a new year. Um, this is our fir- first podcast of the new year. It's been a few weeks, so it is uh, mm-hmm. absolutely awesome to be back. I know people oftentimes criticize catcher, uh, <laughs> catcher podcast, catcher pre- preview podcast, but I can guarantee to listeners that this will be the best catcher preview podcast OP or CPP that you have ever heard. I agree. I agree. And you know what? I laugh because everyone does clown on catcher's previews. I get it. And, and it makes sense. I understand it's catchers. It is what it is. But last season we saw much more offense from catchers, which gets them a little more intriguing. And secondly, the amount of listener questions we got that actually had pertinent – I was expecting, like, troll questions for catchers. They were, like, legit good questions, and uh, it makes me excited to know what the listeners are going to come up with for the other positions that people really care about because, obviously, the people that make fun of the catcher's position don't listen to this show because we had some awesome questions we'll get to at the end of the podcast. Absolutely. And it goes to show you that the listeners of this podcast and the people we engage with on Twitter are easily – uh, the most genuine and nicest people uh, in fantasy mm-hmm. baseball Twitter. 
No doubt about it. And lastly, on that note, I do want to say thank you for those that have reached out to myself and probably have reached out to Toby with the kind words and the tweets and everything about the podcast, the two of us doing it together. I uh, really, really appreciate that because that's kind of why we like to do it together. We're kind of two different uh, versions of looking at fantasy baseball together. And apparently it's working for some people that they really enjoy it. So thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, let's get into it. We're going to hit our recent news. We had some, you know, not top of the line signings, but some interesting ones that will have some fantasy impacts. The twins made a couple, or not the twins. Yeah, the twins made a couple moves. Uh, they signed Rich Hill, who's obviously going to be out for like at least half the season after injury. And they signed Homer Bailey. I'm just going to clump them together here. Uh, they, they made, we always clown on the twins for needing starting pitching help. And I liked Bailey a lot last year, especially in Oakland. I wouldn't start him on the road, but I'd start him in Oco. And it was great. Minnesota, like some people say it's a hitter's park. You know, Mr. Eddie Rosario, that a lot of power happens there too. Um, how do you feel about Rich Hill? Maybe second half, maybe, you know, if you're doing DC drafts, taking him late. And then Homer Bailey, who he's probably going to try to slide into the Kyle Gibson role, but that's a big role to slide into, if you know what I mean. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, I mean, I think with the Hill, the Hill deal, obviously on like a purely baseball perspective, I think that it's um, it's a solid deal for the Twins. Very little risk, uh, a lot of reward if he can come back. I think he's expected back like sometime in June, maybe July. Uh, who knows with Rich Hill? This is Rich Hill that we're dealing with. Um, and so I think, you know, what they want to do is have him ready for that second half push, have him ready for the playoffs. And so if that comes to fruition, I think it's great. If it doesn't work out, then, you know, I think it's like $3 million uh, down the drain for them. He did pitch well last year, as you would expect from Rich Hill. He is amazing. 22.3% uh, K minus walk rate in 2019, which was actually his best um, in a few years. Uh, I think from a fantasy perspective, there's limited value. If you do have an IL or you're in a deep draft like um, a draft champions, then, you know, uh, picking him late and stashing him is is a decent move. I think even in DC, those he, DCs, that's draft champions leagues, uh, his ADP is like 393. And while that's pretty late, given, you know, what we know about the injury, it being his elbow, what we know about his injury past and just the innings pitched, um, that he's able to provide. I'd probably still be looking for different options at that point in time, just because I, I still think there's a lot of really solid uh, players and pitchers uh, left on the board that can at least give you some volume. So I think it depends on where your team is at. I think if you're playing in a shallow, a league with a shallow bench or no IL, you know, like a traditional NFBC league or, you know, a traditional home league that may have like five to seven bench spots and no IL, then I think, you know, he's not really worth, um, stashing just because you don't have the room to kind of hold on to that to a guy like Rich Hill, because even if he comes back, there's just so much uncertainty about how he performs and how much he performs that it's too many, too many questions for me. I don't know. Is that your, would that be your same approach with Hill? Yeah, I didn't, I, I figured his ADP be farther down because I thought most would have the idea of taking him late in a 50 round draft or so, but uh, seeing him at pick 393, it's really tough. Um, I'd be one to, when you finish your draft, say it's not say it's a, not a draft and hold like you can do actual free agents, you know, go to your little watch list or whatever and click the button. So you remember to keep an eye on them and everything. Maybe try to be that guy that reaches out, you know, three weeks before he comes back, a month before he comes back. Try to snipe him, snipe him a little early. He's a hard guy to just clog a roster spot. Cause like you said, it's Rich Hill, who's very good when he's there. We saw all the spin rates on the fastballs, the curveballs, everything's it's elite. It's great. But A, he's always got a propensity to get either a blister or some kind of muscle injury. 
he's already missing a bunch of time coming off an injury, which is always scary. If, okay, how does he come back? It's one of those you don't really want to clog a spot up for him. So it's a great baseball move for the Twins because if they make another postseason run, now you have a, on paper a fresh Rich Hill because you haven't used any innings in the first half, and that'll help tremendously. At the same time, fantasy-wise, it's very hard to buy into that, especially seeing draft champions ADP of 393. Not sure I can really go running to uh, make that pick anymore on a guy you might get for two months of the season. Definitely. Yeah, you know what? It, his uh, his draft price has been surging ever since he got arrested at the Patriots game. <laughs> they saw that intensity. It's back. Man, exactly. They're like, this guy is ready to compete. That story's crazy. It's not even like, <laughs> apparently it was his wife that was getting arrested yeah. and Rich Hill got pissed and he got arrested because he was defending his wife. It was totally. a bonkers story. And, he's, and he was a Patriots fan, so he got arrested at a Patriots game in New England. Uh, bananas. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. What's your, what's your takes on uh, Bailey? Who's he, I was surprised, actually. He's going pick 519 right now. Now, that seems like, well, yeah. I don't know, it's, it's, it's Homer Bailey, so anything's possible. It's <laughs> a little more worth the gamble. Yeah, I actually drafted him in my last uh, like draft it. champions because I was able to get him there. It was right after the Twins signed him, I think, and so... You know, it's one of those things where I don't think the ADP now that he has a spot, um, especially like the Twins. Yeah, it's not it's not the most hitter friendly part. You know, he is going to face the the Tigers and the Royals, um, you know, probably a handful of times this year. And so even those starts are enough to just kind of add for in that type of a format. Overall, he performed well, pretty well last year, especially given what that what the expectations were. I think that we had in the fantasy community for him very low. Um, but over his last 10 starts, the skills were solid. They were even better in his last five starts, but using a little bit of a larger sample size, 17.8% K minus walk rate, which is better than league average, 11.8% swinging strike rate, better than league average, and then league average on O swing and his in zone contact rate. Um, and that coincided with a little bit of a, a, an uptick in his splitter usage, which was at about 25% for the whole season, got closer to 30% during that period of time. So there's a little bit of an opportunity, I think, for him to increase that splitter usage potentially um, to improve at least the strikeout uh, uh, capabilities. It's not a pitch that he throws in the zone a ton. Uh, and so it may have a little bit of an impact on the walk rate if he does that. But that splitter is everything. That's why I'm talking about it so much. 20.1% swinging strike rate for him. 41.3% O swing on that pitch. A 40 uh, WRC+. plus. So hitters don't perform well against it, and they chase pitches outside the zone. Uh, there's a lot of swing and miss with that pitch. Every single one of his other pitches last year had an RC w, uh, WRC plus of, of 100 or well over 100. So it just shows you how reliant on that pitch he is. But, you know, like a lot of the pitchers going around where he is in ADP, uh, that's all, you know, having one good pitch makes you stand out compared to other people. So I think in a DC format, he's solid. You know, if he's going to be one of your last picks, uh, maybe in a 15-team league, uh, I think that's fine. Um, so my hopes aren't super high, uh, but you know they're mediocre enough that he's 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 worth a risk. It's funny. Um, I changed the dates for the ADPs. The 519 was from November 1st when things started till now. I did from yeah. I did from December 1st on, and he drops down to 537. He drops down. It was very interesting to see that. And he's going basically one pick ahead of UC Kikuchi. Yeah. All right. So that surprised me how far he's fallen down the thing. But uh, Bailey's a guy, like you said, he's going to be spot starts where you can use him. He's going to have runs where he's going to be effective. 
there's going to be games where it's very terrifying to even think about throwing him out there. But um, if you can use him in a daily league or a weekly league where you can stream him, not sure you're going to have him the whole season on your roster because I remember there was bits and pieces last year. I'd pick him up two start weeks, use him, and flip back and forth and whatnot. That might be the way to go about it. But we'll have to wait and see how that goes. Interesting move. Good move for the Twins. It gives uh, depth to a rotation they needed, but not sure it's the lockdown move everybody was hoping for. Um, let's go to Nationals. The Nationals, Washington Nationals, have been a busy bunch. That's the best way I can say it. Busy, busy bunch. Uh, we'll start with the first move. Starling Castro, who's going up at 312 in your DCs right now. The He comes over to play second base most likely. Uh, projected hit fifth for the Nationals. I'm a big Starling Castro fan. It was like a couple days before they signed him. I was thinking, okay, this guy's still not even 30 years old yet. He keeps putting good seasons together. Like people clown on him because he's starting Castro. But year after year, he's been very productive. Even for the Marlins last year, he wasn't bad hitting 22 home runs, hitting 270. He's hit 270 or better in um, pretty much every season. Oh, well, he had a 265 and 15. But since 2014, he's at 265 or better. So he's been very, very productive. Pretty good power. Not a lot of steals, but going over this Nationals team is pretty interesting when you can get him for late in your drafts. What do you like with Starling Castro? Yeah, I, I like the move um, for uh, for Castro for the Nats. Um, even though I'm a little biased, I tweeted about my love for Howie Kendrick and how I thought for like five minutes before everybody corrected me that he was going to get full-time <laughs> plate appearances. Uh, this is a few weeks ago. But um, I think he's really intriguing given that second half uh, performance and his dual position eligibility. He's got second base and third base right now. Uh, his ADP of 299 is not prohibitive at all. As you mentioned, I anticipate that that's going to go up. Um, and the ADPs that I'm sharing are from December 15th on, um, just in okay. case. I will, I will adjust mine. I will adjust mine. Yeah, sorry. Mine are, mine are already in the notes, so I'm not, I'm not uh, adept enough to change on the fly, unfortunately. No problem. Um, I think that, uh, that that's going to go up. Um, like you mentioned, like the batting average, especially in today's game, is, is really nice. Steamer projects him at 283, uh, 61 runs, 16 home runs, 70 RBI, and three stolen bases uh, heading into next year, which is solid. I anticipate that that will probably improve a little bit given the move to uh, Nats Park. Uh, Derek Carty was sharing that uh, Nationals Park is one of the uh, sneakiest hitter-friendly uh, venues in the game, and so that'll be a nice little bump up for him from Marlins Park. But that second half, um, you know, he has league, league average plate discipline. The contact rate surged um, during that second half, and it, he coupled it with a drop in his ground ball percentage. So his ground ball percentage was down 9% first half to second half, down to 43%, and his hard hit rate was up 3%. Uh, StatCast metrics also improved the last two months of the season. He had a 10.5% and then a 10% barrels per uh, batted ball event in August and September. And so, you know, just some corroboration for what we saw in terms of the ground ball rate going down. So launch angle going up and, uh, and the hard hit rate increasing. So that, that second half line in 305 plate appearances, a 302 batting average, 16 home runs, 44 runs, 52 RBI and one stolen base. Obviously, you're not just going to double that and give, you know, give yourself like a first round hitter. <laughs> but it just shows you what what's possible and if there is if there has indeed been a an approach change that has helped fuel that increase and that's something that sticks uh he could definitely be a really good value where he's going right now yeah no doubt about it i think there's a there's a lot of value a lot to like there we started gastro you mentioned the dual position eligibility that's one thing the nats are doing very well 
because they went and signed as Dribble Cabrera as well. He's got second base, third base eligibility, and he's just that kind of thorn in the side of fantasy owners because he kind of – I wanted to get some Carter Keeboom love. This kind of puts that one on hold for a little bit. It's like, you're, you're Howie Kendrick? We're actually yeah, Carter Keeboom, Howie Kendrick. <laughs> yeah, we're going to – yeah, so this has been like a – the Nationals are ruining our hopes and dreams here, Toby. It's, it's Dude, been today a, was just like, oh, man, they're just crushing Yeah. Yeah, the next one we get to is really going to crush the Howie Kendrick look. Yeah. But, um, but, but with uh, Dribble Cabrera, it's like I don't hate the move because he's so productive. It's like 260-plus, 15-plus homers. If you give this guy like 130 to 140 games, he's going to be very, very good. Steamer doesn't project him for that many. But, you know, even in 115 games, 16 homers, 266, 334 OBP, that's going to be very productive on a, on a team if you get him where he's getting drafted, which is 445 right now, which is very, very late in drafts. and you're not going to find a lot of guys around that point in the draft that's going to be that productive, at least not that I think will be that productive. He's growing right next to Hanser Alberto, who I like a lot, but Alberto is kind of a mash lefties, try to hit righties where Cabrera can do it all. And we're not like 100% on Cabrera's playing time, but I imagine this ADP is going to get up into the 300s. Like maybe I wouldn't be shocked if he's around 360, 350 mm-hmm. by the time things are said and done. Cause I think people will start to believe in a Drew Cabrera, but we'll see. That's a hundred pick difference. Uh, what's your take on Cabrera going to the Nationals where batting six, playing a lot? They loved them when they traded for him last year, so they'll probably play him a lot this year. Yeah, I mean, he always seems to produce, and that dual position eligibility in addition to the low cost is nice. He's got second base and third base um, as well this year, just like Castro does. What was interesting to me in diving into his profile is that he actually improved across the board in his skills uh, last year. Uh, he had better plate discipline. The O swing was down slightly. The contact rate was up two percent. Hard hit rate rose up, and the ground ball percent was down uh, down slightly. So all of those are really good. Um, I mean, those are really good, really good trends to see. We certainly, I, I don't certainly don't see any you know diminishing skill uh, from an age perspective or his age having an impact on his skill. Uh, I think the fantasy impact, you know, is uh, like you mentioned. Like, what does it mean for Carter Keyboom? Uh, what does it mean for all the competition that's going to be on that infield for spots in the lineup? I mean, that's that to me is a really interesting question. And it also looks like, um, you know, Josh Donaldson probably won't be signing with the Nats would be my guess. They've probably seen the writing on the wall. I imagine he's leaning to the Braves or the Twins. Those seem to be the two teams kind of remaining in that competition. So that'll be interesting. But when I think about the Nats playing time situation, like, I think I feel like Starlin Castro is an everyday start starter just in my mind. And so it seems like Cabrera, um, Hendrick, and and maybe the guy that we're gonna cover in a little bit, maybe do some swapping uh around the infield and maybe get like four or five starts out of every, you know, seven games or so, something like that. But uh Cabrera in and of himself, like you mentioned, good value where he's going. I don't see any any decline in the skills and and it's a decent lineup and a decent bar ballpark. So uh couldn't have asked for probably a better situation for him. Yeah, big fan of it. Uh, you, I like Castro and Cabrera. Castro, I agree, should get the most stable playing time out of these signings. I think Cabrera's will be pretty good unless um, maybe Kendrick plays some third or Keeboom really like, forces their hand in spring training and Wilmer Defoe just goes bye-bye. And that, that could be the option there. So something to keep in mind. And you know, with, with Carter Keeboom, especially in your DCs, I think he's going to get his time eventually. So if he just keeps falling in drafts, take advantage of the value. Like I, I think there's a lot to like there with him. Uh, talking with Derek Boyd, if you look at the Baseball HQ Mayberry method, Keyboom is compared very highly in that in that they're compared in their projection model. 
So there's a lot to like, and they're pretty darn good with their projections. So um, I, I would keep that in mind. The the man that uh, killed Howie Kendrick's hopes and dreams, he kills a lot yeah. of people. If you if you see him flex, he will kill people because he's Flexing so freakishly it. strong. But uh, Eric Thames, Eric Thames signs a deal with the uh, the Nats, and I, I tweeted out if anybody has an attitude, it could be Eric Thames. So it makes it makes a lot of sense. We were waiting to see where Thames would go as a platoon because that's how he rolls. He's got to face a right-handed pitching, so he's the strong side of the platoon. Like you said, Kendrick will get plenty of at-bats between rotating first, playing some second or third, DHing. He's going to get his, too. It just definitely takes a dent out of the situation. You've already mentioned the, the Nats Park's a very good hitter's ballpark. Thames getting, you know, maybe, let's say, two-thirds of the at-bats at first base, going about pick 547 right now. Seems like a pretty good deal. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <clears throat> I think it's nice for the Nats. It's nice for Thames and his fantasy value. Seems like he's going to be that strong side of the um, uh, of the first base platoon there. Maybe sub in and outfield. Um, you know, occasionally when somebody out there needs a little bit of a rest. But the power is still legit. Twenty five home runs in four hundred and fifty nine plate appearances uh, this year. Um, improved uh, again, like from last year. Um, you know, the O swing is still decent. Uh, when he his first year back, he he showed some really tremendous plate discipline. It hasn't really held though, so he's about league average there. The contact rate was up slightly this year. The hard hit rate was up slightly this year. Hits a ton of fly balls, which can help create that power. Um, it's not as good as Miller Park, obviously, for lefties um, to be in in the Nats. Uh, home park, but I think he's a solid bet for 20 plus home runs this year in that Nats lineup. Roster Resource actually has him has slid him right into their uh, into number their four spot. spot. Yeah. yeah, so I, I don't know if that'll actually be the case, but um, it'll be it'll certainly be really interesting uh, to see you know where in that lineup he is because I think um, you know he he's going to be a really nice guy, and I think even in weekly leagues like NFBC where you can swap out in the middle of the week, you know, he's a guy who's kind of nice to have. You can see three righties coming up over the weekend or three out of four righties uh, early on in the week. You know, he's good enough where you can slide him in there in a corner infield spot um, or util, depending on what you're, you know, what it's looking like for you. So um, I like Thames a lot. I like the Nats uh, as a destination overall. So, you know, so far so good. It's a great move. I think they slid him in there. That's where they had Howie Kendrick. And it's like, Strong side of the platoon, uh, they'll put him, they'll, they'll put him there, and then Kendrick will come back. Uh, I think I, I think that's what they're doing now. We'll have to wait and see on that one. Um, let's talk one last Nats move. They went and signed um, Daniel Hudson, big uh, postseason hero. Daniel Hudson, he's back. He signed. Um, they've done some moves. You know, you still have Doolittle there. They went and signed Will Harris. The back end of that bullpen strong. I'm kind of torn. I figured Doolittle would reclaim his role, but now that Hudson's back, we saw the role he had there. Interesting situation in that bullpen. What do you think? Yeah, it definitely is definitely really interesting. I mean, I was trying to think of the different spots that he would land. I was thinking, oh, maybe he, he ends up in like Chicago, um, you know, or, uh, you know, some sort of like seller dweller team signs him and hopes to move him at the deadline if he pitches well for, you know, prospects or something like that. Um, but the Nats return is interesting. I think it really poses another dilemma in the closure department for, um, you know, for fantasy owners, like for people who have drafted Sean Doolittle and haven't and don't have Hudson on their roster, like is is Doolittle going to get those saves initially? And then, you know, 
as he needs to go on the DL as he, as he's, you know, want to do throughout the year. Uh, Hudson takes over. Are they going to play matchups? You know, Hudson being a righty now that you need to keep, uh, you know, pitchers in for a full inning, obviously Doolittle when he's on has been terrific, but he certainly was impacted as a fly ball pitcher uh, by the, the, the bouncy ball and, and, and I think some decreasing velocity last year. So it'll be really interesting to see what ends up happening either way. Um, Hudson looked really good uh, towards the end of last year. He's a guy you root for given like coming back from two Tommy Johns. The arm is a great book. If you haven't read that before um, about him, but he pitched well last year, you know, not as dominant as you would expect necessarily from a closer uh, overall through the course of the season, 14.5% K minus walk rate, pretty low swinging strike rate at 9.9%. Um, I'm guessing it probably elevated as the year progressed. Um, so not a dominant reliever, so I don't think he just comes in and takes over for Sean Doolittle, but I do think that it poses some interesting dilemmas for fantasy owners, and it may diminish Doolittle's draft stock, which could be a blessing in disguise. That is very true. It could do it. It feels like it's a lighter version of the Braves bullpen right now. Like, who do we play with here? But uh, I think that's a good point you make with the new rule about having to pick to three guys. You almost want these more dominant guys that can get lefties and righties out. And I know that makes it sounds like common sense, but a lot of people don't have them. So I think that's a very interesting way to go about it here. And A, I hate that rule. I think it just takes away the strategy of baseball, but that's a whole other podcast. Um, last bit of news here. We'll transition to catchers, basically. Jason Castro signs with the LA Angels of Anaheim. And I'm a big fan of this because I'm a big fan of Jason Castro. I wrote his hot streak last year. If you look at his stat cast page, it's got red in all the right places. He uh, hits the ball hard, big barrel rate, uh, everything you want. He does very well, but he's always been in a platoon. He's been stuck behind Mitch Garver. He's just uh, Kurt Suzuki used to share with him in Minnesota. He's a great defensive catcher, which really helps this Anaheim uh, starting rotation of Tehran, Heaney, Bundy, Canning, Sandoval, Otani. Helps them out a ton, and he really doesn't have a lot of threat behind him because Max Stassi's backing him up. Sorry to Max Stassi's family, but Jason Castro is a better catcher. So um, I think they need to really – this could be the year where Castro gets, you know, 130-something games here. We can see what he's really worth. Maybe I'm being too optimistic. What's your thoughts on uh, on Jason Castro? Yeah, I think he – for me, he's a solid catcher two option for next year in two catcher leagues, maybe at yes. bottom end catcher one, um, you know, depending like in, in a deeper league. I think a lot of it depends. You know, we're obviously making assumption that he's going to get the majority of plate appearances at catcher this year for the Angels. He seems to be, you know, the best one. I think Stassi has some limitations as a hitter, and, and Castro, like you mentioned, was just off the charts for anybody who follows follows Statcast data. He was kind of a Statcast darling, and and we just held on hope, hoping and hoping and hoping that 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 uh, that actual woba would catch up to that expected woba, but um, yeah. it didn't quite happen. I think uh, the batting average, I would expect to be low. I think Steamer has him very low. I think it's like a 219 batting average. I would think more in like the 230 to 240 range. Um, his expecting batting average last year was a little bit higher, but um, he's always been a low batting average guy because he strikes out so much. He's really slow. He pulls the ball a lot on the ground. And so the shift is just going to eat him up. And both of those things aren't going to show up on your stat cast metric. So I think folks should just keep that in mind. The power definitely seems legit. Like you mentioned, the stat cast page, he ranked 14th among all hitters with at least 50 balls in play with a 9.5% barrels per plate appearance. 
uh, which is always a lovely thing to say. And I can't remember who, who it was that said this, and, and I would love to give them kudos. I think it was on a podcast, but, um, you know, they lowered the, the um, wall out there in, in uh, right field Anaheim. Yeah. Um, in Anaheim. And that really, it really plays it up for left-handed batters. And so I think he could take advantage of that a little bit, although the, the twin stadium, I don't think is, 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 is too poor for right-handed batters either. Um, so all in all good, he's better in OBP leagues, 11.1% uh, or higher walk rate in four straight years. Um, he's a smart dude. Um, he did see a 9% dip in contact last year. And so it just seems like he's making that, uh, that sacrifice of contact for hitting the ball hard, which, you know, I don't mind as a fantasy owner, he's gripping it and ripping it. And, uh, hopefully it works out for him in the angels. But like you mentioned, you know, from a fantasy perspective, it could be equally as good for, uh, the pitchers there in Anaheim as it is for owners of Castro himself. It could be very, very fun. Let's take that transition over to the catching preview. We're going to go through the top 10 NFPC ADP catchers. Um, some positions will go deeper. It depends on how much time we have because 10 catchers and then the great listener questions and other things. we got a lot to talk about tonight, and it's the catcher's position. Like, we could go deep on catchers, but Ooh, we really want to go. Let's go. Let's go 30, 40, 40 deep. Yeah. Do we really want to talk about Martin Maldonado? I'm just throwing it out there. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, trust me. I wrote up almost 50 catchers. We can go all night long oh, if yeah. you want. But, that's it. but that's uh, I'd rather not. You plug the black book. You got to get the black book. Yes. The black book. Go purchase the black book. At, uh, it's number one in baseball and fantasy sports right now on nice. Amazon. And uh, yeah, I did the catchers and the relief pitchers. Over 100 people on myself. There's over 500 uh, player previews between all the positions. We got NFPC stuff from Matt Modica. Um, the player values, draft strategies from Alex Chamberlain and, and the Chris Welsh, prospects from Eric Cross. You got Ariel Cohen, Joe P.S.P., of course. Um, and I'm totally going to probably forget someone. And I apologize. Chris Meany's in there. Uh, tons of great work. It's a, it's an awesome book, and it's the 10th edition of the Fantasy Black Book. So go check it out. And thank you for reminding me to plug that. Yeah, of um, course. Anytime, Bubba. Uh, plug away yeah if, if, if anybody knows i plug away on my twitter all the time with it because yeah I, i'll go on about it but i might start crying so we'll, we'll we'll go away from there um let's go to the number one catcher on nfbc right now and it's it's a fun you know conversation uh, on who's the top guys but usually jt real muto rates out as the top is the dude just a stud you know steamers got him for a 270 average 330 obp he's gonna hit for power even steals you some bags we saw that from him last year one of the few catchers that's going to get you the steals to go with the overall production. Very solid stuff there going in Philadelphia. So they got him going number one. What do you got on JT Real Muto? Yeah, I mean, he's definitely my number one, I think, for, by a very uh, wide uh, distance. I recently drafted him at, at pick uh, 45 or 46. I was on the turn, I can't remember, um, in one of my DCs. I'm a big fan of Real Muto. I just think head and shoulders, he is easily the best catcher. Um, when you look at his steamer projection, 544 plate appearances, so some really nice playing time, 269 batting average, 71 runs, 23 home runs, 75 RBI, and six stolen bases. And I think those are a little bit light. Um, he's just been incredibly consistent from a skills perspective, uh, above average contact, um, decent plate discipline, not the greatest in the world, but really made some strides in terms of his uh, hard hit rate, up 7%. Um, last year, he plays in a night, very nice lineup, um, scored 93, 92 runs last year as a catcher. I mean, 275 
25 home runs, 92 runs, 83 RBI, and nine stolen bases. I think the nine stolen bases is really critical too. I think we've talked on the podcast before about how there's very few positions that have stolen bases now. Like there's one or two guys at first base. There's one or two guys at third base. Um, there's one guy in Real Muto at catcher who, who will get you more than five uh, probably. Um, and so um, it really is a nice from a, a team construction standpoint, like it's a little bit of stolen bases, but it can make a really big difference. So I like that a lot. And then when I look at what he's valued at, so my valuations that I use, which um, actually speaking of plugs, um, I use uh, smartfantasybaseball.com. Uh, Tanner Bell does a really cool um, SGP, uh, that standard gain point uh, spreadsheet um, that uh, helps you calculate standard gain points. For, some, for those of you who don't want to spend all your time creating a massive spreadsheet to do that, it does it for you. Um, it's a really great, uh, it's a really great tool. Um, and it's something that I have purchased, um, uh, over the last two years, but it has him as a $22 and 83 cent player. So essentially a $23 player, his ADP is 58, um, which is about, a, like an 18 or $19 pick. And so essentially that's a, that's about four and a half dollars of value that you're getting. Um, even though you have to draft him early as the first catcher off the board. Um, if you believe those valuations, then um, he's still getting you considerable value. So I'm a huge fan uh, of Real Muto. Um, he's a guy that I already own, I think, in probably three of my five leagues so far, I want to say. Um, and in any league where I have the opportunity to get him, I'll, I'll probably own him. How about you? How yeah. do you feel about JP? He's a great player. You 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 nailed it. He's going to do everything. He's going to help you in all categories, things you don't get from most catchers. Um, when I started, when I made my first catcher rankings about a month ago i had grandal and real muto really close to each other with all the moves the the white Sox have been doing it kind of sours me just a bit on grandal because i was looking forward to him playing first base DHing when he wasn't catching but now uh that's gonna be tough with edwin there it's gonna be very tough with edwin there so um grandal in an obp league i like a lot because his obp is just out of this world but playing time-wise, there's no one getting in Real Muto's way. He's a very, very good catcher. You can't go wrong if you take catchers early. He's a great one to take. If you don't take catchers early, there's plenty to go around later. But like Toby was saying, the value you get with him. I'm really curious. Um, I have a subscription to Rotowire, and it, it, uh, you might as well. I have no idea. But um, Jeff Erickson tweeted out about a couple hours before he started recording that he's doing his overall rate projections and ratings. And he has Real Muto 81st hitter in his rankings. So, and that's the first catcher in his rankings. Mm-hmm. So I can't wait to see what he has up his sleeve because yeah. like ADP 56, your stuff computes. And I've seen your spreadsheets before and I have no arguments. So like, I'm really curious to see what he has there. Cause when we talk 81st, if we go all the way to 82, Real Muto's 56 and a half. Gary Sanchez, 82nd player off the board. He is the second catcher off the board. So that's a massive gap. Uh, 27 pick difference between Real Mito and Sanchez. Almost two rounds in a 15-team league. And then the, the, the thing with Gary, you're not going to find power like Gary Sanchez at the catcher's position. You're just not going to find it. The problem is you might not find the playing time either. That's the biggest issue with Gary Sanchez. If Gary Sanchez could uh, put 130 games together, he might hit you like 45 to 50 home runs. But even in a small sample, he hits you 30-plus homers. OBP is good. Average is suspect. But he hits you all the counting stats. And at a catcher's position, I guess the way I could explain it, 
if you had 107 games from or 105 games from a second baseman, it would just destroy you most likely. But what he can do in five games counting stats wise is equivalent to almost every other catcher on the board. He just doesn't steal bags. His average might hurt you a bit, but everything else he does power wise will outproceed uh, most of them. And then runs RBIs are going to be great. Uh, he's a phenomenal catcher and you have to cross your fingers that one of these days he puts it all together, but he's the second one off the board. I know, I think it was you or I took him in barf last year early. He's sneaky good if he stays healthy. What do you got? Yeah. Um, and one thing I'll say as I, as I talk about the catchers is all my analysis is really coming from a two catcher perspective. Um, you know, like these are, these are clearly the, I think that some of the two of the best catchers in the league. And uh, my analysis is generally from a two catcher perspective. So unless I point out that it's from a one catcher perspective, I just tell listeners to, to think of it from a two catcher perspective. Um, so for Sanchez, um, I like Sanchez. I mean, the, the cost is, is nice. Um, uh, since December 15th, yeah, there's actually a wider gap between him and Real Muto. I think it's like 35 picks or something like that at this point. So the, uh, I have him at down as an ADP of 93. Um, so he is going pretty late. Um, uh, the steamer projection, 459 plate appearances, 241, 66 runs, uh, 31 home runs, 77 RBI, and one stolen base is good for uh, about $19.5. Uh, um, and then that pick, ADP of 93, is about a $15 to $16 pick. So you're getting about $4 worth of value um, right now uh, from that um, uh, from that pick. And so that's one thing I think um, – you know, again, like a lot of times people are told kind of to steer clear of the top end catchers. But for me, you know, I really want one of these top end guys, if at all possible. Like um, I'm having a little bit more of a difficult time with it, to be honest, because, you know, the Sanchez profile is not ideal, I think. Um, and then Grandal, like you mentioned, like just some of the deals that the White Sox have made, I think have are eroding his plate appearances. And so I'm a little less high on on Grandal as I was, you know, maybe like a month ago before they made made all these moves. Um, but for Sanchez, like I don't mind going after him at this point in time. Again, the 241 batting average is bad, but in the context of catchers, it's not um, it's not terrible. And we have seen that there is uh, a little bit of upside if he uh, if he's able to be healthy and and make some contact. So he has the highest um, ceiling, I think, for any catcher like you mentioned, but, um, the floor can be pretty low and injuries have definitely hurt him. Um, you know, and then with, with all the players, the Yankees have, there's very little room, I think for him to DH. Um, and so, you know, I think most of his plate appearances are going to come from the catcher position, which is going to limit that playing time. So again, like he looks to be a pretty good value where he's going right now in drafts. If you believe these valuations, um, and, uh, you know, overall a solid pick. I wouldn't mind starting a draft for him. He's the type of guy, like if he falls below pick 100, for instance, uh, I'm a little, I'm, I'm more interested at that point in time than maybe at his current ADP. Yeah. I, I feel you there big time. I think he's that interesting guy. Like if you feel pretty confident in some of your early picks and you're willing to take a risk, sure. I just usually don't take my risk that early. That's the problem. So it's kind of a, a damned if you do damned, if you don't with Sanchez, because the ceiling's so high, but the floor is so low, like we keep saying. So it's really tricky with him. Um, and now I finally, I'm an idiot. And I finally got on the right ADP page. I'm just brain dead this evening. Uh, but uh, yeah, so Gary, I was just, I was the dummy that forgot to pick draft champions. Um, so um, Gary Sanchez, 92. Yasmani Grandal, like you said, eight picks later. 
I think uh, Steamer has changed his projections finally to kind of coincide with the White Sox moves because now they only have him like at 128 games. I could be wrong, but I felt like he was more towards 135, 140 at one point in time. So that's a big difference when you start counting things down. Still a heck of a ball player. Going to have a lot of power in that ballpark, in that division. And like I said, his OBP, they still have him projected for almost a 360 OBP on Steamer. And that's no joke because what he did last year, I think there's – I can't remember. It was only like three or four players in all of baseball that was better than him at, o, at OBP. He was he was up there, very very high, and he'll do that again. But the overall production is going to be tough because he's not there anymore. So, like I said, I had him him and Real Muto really close early on. I may even jump Sanchez over him. I don't think I'll drop him below third in my overalls. But when I update everything in a couple of weeks, you know, Wilson Contreras and some others might move their way up also. But right now, Grandal's third in FBC ADP. And it sucks because he's very good, but I'm really concerned about playing time. You've kind of hit on it already. What else do you have on Grandall? Yeah, um, it, it is it is interesting. He's at 544 plate appearances, which is equal to uh, Real Muto, I think, and only behind Salvador Perez at 550 plate appearances in terms of the projection. And that's one thing to note is all of these are based on the you know the projections that Steamer is putting out in terms of plate appearances, and we'll get a better sense of those as we get closer uh, to the season. Um, and that this is one of the places where humans can kind of beat the machines is, is being able to analyze things like Grandall's playing time and notice that, oh, well, maybe he should be subjected to a little bit less since it's, it looks, uh, less and less likely that he'll have a ton of at-bats at first base or DH with, um, uh, with, with Encarnacion there and Abreu there now kind of sticking up those two spots. Again, if an injury happens, anything can change, but, uh, just from a projection standpoint, uh, but uh, 544 plate appearances, 239 batting average, 75 runs, 25 home runs, 72 RBI, three stolen bases. He's like super slow. He's one of the slowest guys in all of baseball, but somehow manages to steal some bases sometimes, which is incredible. Uh, about $17, $18 in terms of his valuation. Where he's going is about a $15 pick at an ADP of 100. Um, that's about a $2.5 profit. So uh, just from a valuation standpoint, he seems to be pretty good. The thing about him, like the big difference between those two guys and Real Muto for me is the batting average and the stolen bases. Like I really think with Real Muto, you can count on that batting average being high because of the contact skills being better um, and the stolen bases as well. And so in two of the scarcest categories, particularly with catchers, I think he's head and shoulders above um, kind of uh, any of those guys just to kind of expound on that on that point. Uh, but again, Grandal is fine at this point. He also has first base eligibility. So in draft champions, not that you're probably going to want him uh, starting at a different position, but just in case you get desperate, um, that does give him a little bit more, you know, flexibility in terms of where you can move him. But he's a guy where I would have been, you know, if you if we had had the podcast about a month ago, I would have been a lot higher on him than I am uh, right now. But still a solid option and a guy if you miss out on the top two that I don't mind taking it. And again, I think with a lot of the catchers right now, how I feel about them is just like, if they slip a little bit further uh, than their, than their current ADP, like if they're on the, you know, in terms of like their range of picks, if, if 75 is the high on Grandal and, you know, 115 is the low on him. If he gets around that 110 range, I think I feel it might feel a little bit better grabbing him there than I do at pick 100. Um, but um, yeah, that's where I can't, am kind of on Grandal. And that's a good point you make on that. Like with certain positions or certain players, we always talk about go ahead and get your guy. Go take like, you know, go up a round or two rounds, whatever you need to do. With a catcher position, I'm probably not going to reach on anybody. It's going to have to like fall for value. So that's a good point you make there. 
if X player falls X amount, it'll definitely start uh, making things much more appealing when we're talking draft day. So I'm with you there 100%. Uh, let's go to the fourth catcher off the board about pick 130, Wilson Contreras of the Chicago Cubs. Injury riddled 2019 and, and played 105 games. Steamer has him at 98, about the same plate appearances at 408. Um, dropping him down average, still good OBP. Not as much power as last year. Steamer does not like Wilson Contreras, it looks like. That's uh, quite surprising. But uh, what we saw out of him last year was a much better Wilson Contreras than we saw in 2018, much more like the 2017 Contreras, which was very good to see. A couple things to think about. The injuries were a little weird last year. They weren't, uh, you know, the back injuries are always scary. And there's speculations of potential trades. So always things to worry about. But if Contreras is the everyday guy there, and I like his backup Caratini quite a bit, but obviously Contreras is going to be the dude. He's a very, very good catcher. I'm actually surprised by these steamer projections here. Um, I think that's why I said he could almost rival Brandall for me if he plays regularly, but for some reason, Steamer does not like him. What's your thoughts on uh, Contreras? Yeah, I mean, I think one of the reasons why Steamer might not be as high on him is because the ground ball rate is so high. You know, it's fifty. Per, it's higher than 50% in every single season um, that he's been in the majors. And last year, he had a 27.3% home run per fly ball rate um, compared to 20.5% for, uh, for his career when you even include last year. Um, and so it may just be that they think that that's going to come down a little bit. Although I think he is one of those guys who hits a lot of ground balls, but when he hits the ball in the air, you know, he hits it with a decent amount of authority. Uh, a couple concerning trends with, uh, with, with Contreras, the plates discipline is, is, has been slipping uh, the last couple years. It went from about league average to now being at about 37.5%. And then the contact rate actually fell 4% last year to well below league average at 69.7%. In zone contact also well below. And so that strikeout rate at 24.9% may be a little, um, you know, maybe a little lower than you might anticipate uh, with, with, uh, with a guy if those, if those type of skills keep up. Um, but I think he's, uh, he's okay. He's fine. Um, you know, I think the key is that plate appearance total. If he can get higher than that 400 plate appearances, I think uh, he could be really good. But if he sticks to that, you know, the 457, 50 runs, 16 home runs, 56 RBI, and three stolen bases is going to look a lot like a lot of other guys who we're going to talk about in a little bit who are going um, a little bit further on in drafts than he is. His valuation is about $11 to $12 player. Um, ADP of 130 is about a $13 pick. And so you're losing a little bit of value if you grab Contreras here. Um, I'm not totally opposed to it, but I think um, I'm probably looking in a different direction um, at this point in time than going after a guy like Contreras just because of the inconsistencies, um, you know, that we've seen, I think, throughout his career so far. Yeah, it, it's really interesting to see. He's one of those guys that I could see going off or going away. It's very tough to uh, to tell with Contreras right now. But a guy that we're going to get into some listener questions later, and I can't wait to really dig into this one. But we'll talk just peripheral stuff right now, I guess. But uh, Mitch Garver is going to pick 131. I'm not a Mitch Garver guy. I don't. Not a Mitch be... Garver no. guy. I, I'm going to try. I'm going to try to save it for the uh, the questions later. But uh, oh. I I am not a I'm not a believer. Let's put it that way. Not a believer. Um, what do you have on Mitch Garver? Oh man, Bubba, this has been a nice run of podcasts that we've had. Uh, <laughs> what do we make it to? 18 before we end. 18. God, 18. Yeah. Yep. Hey, Love we're it. good. All right. It's like we, it's we became swell. adults and we, we became adults and we broke up. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, uh, so for Mitch, for Mitch, that's funny. 
Ah, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Um, so uh, for Mitch Garver, um, so yeah, we got a ton of questions about him. Um, I think the key for Mitch Garver uh, is the um, is the playing time. Uh, Steamer has him at 378 uh, plate appearances, and you might be like, man, that's ridiculous. Why on earth, Steamer, would you ever give him 378 plate appearances? He had a ton more last year. But he didn't. He only had 359 plate appearances. He, last yeah, he year, did not play a lot last year. Yeah, despite hitting the 31 home runs. Um, and so the steamer projection is 254, uh, 51 uh, runs, 16 home runs, 51 RBI, one stolen base. Um, that is good for about a $9 valuation. The spot that he's going at, an ADP of 131, is about a $13 pick. So theoretically speaking, you're losing about $4. But if you do like a steamer 600, I don't have it in front of me, but you know, that jumps him up to about 23 home runs, um, similar to Real Muto. Obviously the counting stats will go up as well. And so I really think it depends on what you think about the plate appearance situation with Garver. He can't, he went from a really bad framer um, to a, a mediocre framer, like his stat cast bar is white. Um, and so like, it's right in the middle, right in the Moodle. Um, and he is that's a that's a children's uh children's book reference by the way um uh anyways moving moving on from that uh he um yeah he like everything is really really good and so it just depends on what you think because they they picked up um uh, uh al avila is that is that right or is that the gm that's the gm they picked up alex avila alex avila okay uh al, yeah, alex, yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, Alex Avila, who's actually uh, like a solid red on the framing from a stat cast perspective. Again, like, you know, I don't know uh, all the ways to judge uh, defensive catchers, but it seems like Avila is a very good framer. And so if it's from a defensive perspective, uh, Avila is actually better than Castro uh, from a framing perspective last year, according to stat cast. And so, you know, if that's the reason why they had the even split last year, pretty much between Garver and Castro, I don't know if that's necessarily going to change. Um, Avila has a very similar profile from an offensive perspective as Castro, high strikeout guy, a good plate discipline, hits the ball hard, but has a very low batting average. Um, and so it really depends on what you think that is going to be because, um, you know, the I believe in Garver as a hitter. Like when you look at what he um, was able to do last year, he had an elite plate discipline. 20.1% O-swing, like that is elite. He had good contact skills, 77%. And the quality of contact was unbelievably good. A 47.3% hard hit rate, 38.9% ground ball rate. And then the 12th highest barrels per plate appearance at 9.7% of any player in baseball with, um, with, uh, with, with 50 or more batted balls. So, you know, what, what is remarkable to me is he's able to combine all of the elements of hitting that you would, you would love to see. And he's able to make you know, above league average contact overall. And so I have no doubt that the hit school hits hitting the hit skills or the hit tool for Garver, I believe in everything that happened. I think there's some regression coming his way, you know, just from a home runs perspective. I don't think that that is sustainable, like 31 and 359 plate appearances. Like that's just not something that anybody really sustains. And so there's going to be some regression there, but I think the, I think the hit tool is legit. I think the, the thing that if I was a Mitch Garver fan and I was drafting him that I would be hoping for is the fact that they have not replaced CJ Crone 
at first mm-hmm. base. Um, and they didn't get Eric Thames. I think they were kind of putting all their eggs in a basket that they can get Donaldson for third base and move Sano over there. But if that doesn't end up happening, maybe we see Mitch Garver playing more at first base because I think I think he's a better hitter than CJ Crone is. And so you Easy. know, with that being Easy said, now. I mean, I don't think there's any question that he's a better hitter at this point in time than TJ Crone. I, you know, I love CJ Crone. You know, I do CJ oh, Crone, Jorge Soler, uh, uh, you know, uh, comparisons. But um, and so I think that would be the place where he could get you a ton of value um, mm-hmm. is if he can get some of those first base plate appearances because I think he could be the number one catcher. You know, if he gets to you know 500 plus plate appearances, just from a hit perspective. But I don't think that that's going to happen. And I think that the projection that Steamer is doing is a little bit above what he did last year. But um, I think that what we're probably going to see is a similar split. And I think we'll know as we get closer to the season how much playing time we can expect um, uh, Garver to get at first base or not. And then we'll get a better sense. But for right now, I think you know, this is about right. And if you want to bank on a little bit of upside, I don't think it's a terrible pick going where he's going. My biggest concern, and you you hit it, is his playing time. And the, the playing time is going to affect everything else, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I think first base is the key to that. I'm glad you said that. Because they're looking at their depth chart, and they got Marlon Gonzalez there right now. And obviously, if they get Donald Sinsono goes to first, that changes everything. But Garver should be able to outplay Marlon Gonzalez. Let's be honest about that. So um, I, I think that's one of the big takeaways in that situation. But, man, I – I'm not. I, I think 25 homers would be a max. That'd be a great season for for Mitch Garver. I just don't believe the increase in um, you know his barrel rate went from five six to fifteen five. That's ridiculous. All of his X stats outperformed everything in a big big way, and a hard hit rate of 39 percent to 50 percent is quite the jump. Um, I'm not saying he's not a good hitter. I just don't think that the season he had last year we're going to get again this year. Could be totally wrong. And I guess there's a lot of guys I'd rather take behind him that we'll get to here pretty soon that makes Mitch Garver kind of a guy I won't be touching is what it comes down to. But yeah. um, that that's my biggest argument is I there are some people you didn't. So that's why I, we almost agree on Mitch Garver after you gave your explanation. Well, you said I, I'm actually more on board with. There are people that still think he's like a 30-plus home run hitter. And I just don't see it unless a few things change. Like yeah. I just I don't see it happening. And that's people are drafting him for the 30 home runs. And the only catcher you should be drafting for 30 home runs is Gary Sanchez. That's my yeah. two cents. So, yeah. so, so we actually are, after all that, after all that, we actually are on the same page on Mitch Barber. All right. We can, we can stay together. Episode okay. 19. Here we come. Sweet. First base. That's going to be a doozy. Um, let's get to the sixth catcher off the board. Pick 163. Will Smith. Like this guy, I'd almost rather take a gamble on Will Smith than on Mitch Garver because a you're getting him thirty picks later, and I really buy into what this kid can do. And he got in a limited sample given, but he should get a full season with the Dodgers this year. I don't see why he wouldn't. And I think twenty plus homers, maybe twenty five upside is his potential. He's going to hit for a pretty good average, just like Mitch Garver. I think there's a lot to like with uh, Will Smith. There's other guys even later I'd rather have. Than Mitch Garver, but I think Will Smith is a very intriguing play, a popular play, but uh, an intriguing one. What do you have on Will Smith? Yeah, that's almost sacrilegious of you to say that, Bubba. As yeah, a, as, I a, know. as a Giants fan, I mean, it's it, they're better than the, we are. They're the, better. 
Give it. Give I can. You guys I can years. admit it. Give you guys three years. Oh, I know that that minor league system. Joey Bart will be better than Will Smith. I'll say that right now. Hey, let me ask you a question. How many championships do the Dodgers have in this century? Yeah, zero. How many? Yeah, how many do they have in the last three decades? <laughs> they can go farther. <laughs> but yeah, continue. Will Smith. All right, Will Smith. <laughs> Uh, Steamer projection, 397 plate appearances, so a little pretty similar to Garver. 225 batting average. This is Steamer, 47 runs, 19 home runs, uh, 54 RBI, and three stolen bases. That's good for $9, um, about a nine, $9 to $10 valuation. ADP of 163, it's about an $11 pick, so you're losing you know, about one to two dollars on uh, on Will Smith as well. So you can see kind of with this with this um, uh, with this grouping of catchers, that's kind of like your kind of middling middle of the road catchers um, with with all of them. You're kind of losing a little bit of value, at least again, like uh, for my valuations. And they're all but they're all so similar. And that's actually what I think is super interesting between Smith and like t- take Smith and Garver. Smith is actually has mm-hmm. a higher uh, valuation just barely on mine um even though garver's line you would probably take right um mm-hmm. uh, but that just shows you how powerful uh stolen bases are you know well, that, Smith has, that and the draft price yeah yeah absolutely mm-hmm. but like the yeah. three stolen bases to the one it's that huge. garver is is what pushes smith above garver in terms of evaluation um just yeah. because they're they're such a scarce resource um, and I just wanted to highlight that because that just shows how how much value there can be in just a couple stolen bases um, um, in a projection right there. I mean, it's over. It's able to overcome a little bit that that poor batting average for Will Smith. You know, I, coming into the drafts, Will Smith was a guy where I was kind of like, uh, or coming into this preview, I was like, uh, I'm not going to own any Will Smith, and I may not own any Will Smith just because I got so much damn JD Real Muto, but yeah. like. Uh, Will Smith over his last 40 games, I mean, like the skills are, 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 are really nice, or I shouldn't do 40 games. I'm going to do the last 20 games just because he didn't play that many games over his last 20 games. That Z contact was up all the way close to 90%. So like way above league average, the hard hit rate was at 45% way above league average. Um, the O swing was at 23.7% way below league average. Um, the ground ball rate was at 36.2%. So everything that you want from a hitter, Smith does. Like he makes contact, he hits the ball hard, he's got a great, great eye, um, and then he uh, he hits the ball um, in the air a ton. Um, it's just the quality of contact that he's making right now, like is not necessarily um, that that good. But I do think that there's a lot of potential in um, Smith's profile. Certainly, being a part of the Dodgers lineup is a great thing. Um, so again, I don't. Um, He's not a guy that I'm actively going to be looking to get, but if he drops far enough in drafts, I might consider him if I haven't picked picked a, a, a catcher one yet. But but a lot of this kind of grouping of guys, I'm probably going to steer clear with just from a strategic perspective. If I miss out on those first three, yeah, Will Smith, he's he's a good option, but uh, probably not the number one option if you're waiting. And, and like you said, if you have JT Real Muto, probably not getting these guys. So um, I don't blame you at all. These guys kind of all blend together in a roundabout way. So you can, you can kind of they're, – they're good and they're bad in their own rights. Another guy that kind of rings that bell at number uh, the seventh off the board, pick 185, is Wilson Ramos. This is a guy that I was high on two years ago when he, he produced. I liked him last year, not so much. He had a launch angle of zero for crying out zero. Billy Hamilton uh, his, was impressed. His ground ball rate is just, is just 
I don't know. It's horrifying. It's bad. But his barrel rate dropped, his hard hit rate dropped. What I found out after doing more research, because I was just baffled by everything about Wilson Ramos last year, is his um, he had an injury that I did not realize was as bad as it was. So I'm not saying that's the end-all, be-all. He's going to be 33, I believe, this season. So it's something to keep an eye on. I just don't think he's this bad. Like He still hit 275 and somehow stole a base. Don't know how that happened. But um, 14 home runs, like these aren't great numbers. At the same time, they didn't kill you. You'd like more from him, but now you're getting his draft prices changing to make it, it, it interesting. It, it's not a, again, it's not great, but it's interesting with Wilson Ramos right now. Coming in at pick seven, what's your thoughts on Ramos? Because honestly, when we get to pick eight, I'm a big fan of pick eight. Oh, pick eight. Let's just skip Ramos. I'm fine with that I'm if you gonna... want. <laughs> I could never. Pick eight's awesome. I could never. It's unethical. To our listeners, <laughs> uh, Steamer, so four, 412 plate appearances uh, for Ramos. Projection of 274, 48 runs, 15 home runs, 55 RBI, one stolen base. Um, Injury is obviously a concern throughout his career, but he's been pretty stable over the last few. Uh, if you're looking for a guy, if you need batting average and you're looking for it from catcher, you need to ask yourself some really serious questions about yourself. But yep. if you are looking yep. for batting average, he has the highest uh, projected batting average of any catcher this side of Will, uh, uh, William um, Astudio, uh, Astudio, sorry. Um, and so uh, if that's what you're looking for, I mean, I, he's a decent bet, right? He's an $11 value with that uh, projected line, which is better than, you know, Garver, uh, uh, about the same as Contreras and better than Will Smith, if you're just believing the projections and the valuation. Uh, it's a $9, it's about a $9 um, pick at ADP of 185. Um, so there's about a $2 worth of value that you're getting from Ramos. So I'm a guy who steers clear of him generally. I, I mean, it's probably a bias of mine because of the really high ground ball rate and uh, the injury history, but he's not a terrible pick here as, as your catcher one, if he's available, um, you know, and the Mets should be okay uh, next year. Mm-hmm. They should be okay. So yeah, I'm intrigued by, by Ramos. I think he's not going to hurt you for the most part. Like you mentioned the average, the powers there. And I think he can't be much worse than he was last year. Like his career stat cast numbers, he just made everything look bad last year. I think that was definitely the injury. So if he, if he hits spring training and things look good, I would not be scared to uh, – it wasn't too long ago with Ramos was like the fourth catcher off the board. So just something to think about with Ramos. I think there's still more in the tank there. But we already kind of hinted at it. The eighth catcher Ooh, off the board somehow it. somehow is at pick 185. Like you look at his, his highs and his lows since – uh, the 15th of December. Highest is 172. Lowest is 199. What is wrong with people? Salvador Perez is a beast. Ow. This guy is Yo. so good. Um, before he got hurt, he had 20 or more home runs in four straight seasons. He hits like 250, 260 for the most part. Counting stats are good. One thing that's great is he plays every day. And to top up. it off, to, to top it off, Mike Matheny, love him or hate him, lots of arguments there, Cardinals Twitter, um, that he already said Salvador Perez is going to see a lot of time at first base this year, which means he might play even more games. So let's just put that together as a guy that had Buster Posey and watched him a lot. When he started playing first base, he hit the ball better because he stayed healthier longer. So Salvador Perez is the eighth catcher off the board. Seems like the best value in the world. Oh, it is the best. This is the Holy grail, Baba. We've hit the Holy grail. <laughs> There's no reason to, to move forward. We've hit the peak, the pinnacle of fantasy <laughs> baseball. 
is Salvador Perez right now, right oh, at this boy. very moment. On the Catcher's Podcast, we hit the peak, guys. We've hit the pinnacle on the Catcher's Podcast. No no reason to go any farther. Definitely. You know uh, the scene, Do you, have you seen um, Indiana Jones and the um, – and the, what's the last one? The last crusade? Uh, it's been forever since it's I've been seen forever. it. Yes. Okay. Well, there's that scene where he's like, yeah, Harrison Ford, you know, is in, is in, is in the room and he's got to pick a cup, you know, and there's all mm-hmm. these like fancy cups. And he, of course, being the smart guy that he is, he picks like the most humble cup. That's kind of like mm-hmm. Salvador Perez. It's like the Holy yep. Grail. And it's at ADP 185. Uh yep. 252 batting average projected for steamer 66 runs 27 home runs the most of any catcher 81 rbis the most of any catcher more than sanchez from a projection standpoint two stolen bases that's a 20 dollar valuation so second only uh to jt real muto and an adp wow. of 185 that's a nine dollar pick so you're looking at about eleven dollars worth of value if perez hits that projection which you know, it's it's actually a pretty lofty projection, but again, we've never seen Perez with you know the juiced ball as it was last year, and so if that continues, then I do, I do think that it's possible. Um, and I think, like you mentioned, like Matheny's already talking about Perez going over to first base. Um, you know, uh, you know if he needs a little bit of a rest, and so that assu- um, assuages maybe um, uh, some of the. Um, some of the injury concern, you know, about him having to throw too much coming off of Tommy John. Um, again, we've seen that hitters coming off of Tommy John, you know, guys like Glaber Torres have been good uh, coming back from it. And so I'm not too concerned from an injury perspective, but the beauty of Salvador Perez at his current price is just that he doesn't even have to be that good for you to get that, that price. And um, he can be a little bit injured and he can still – you know, uh, reach the value that, um, you know, that you, that you're drafting him at. And so I'm actually kicking myself because I should literally have Salvador Perez on every single one of my teams so far. And I think I've only got him on two or three of the five that I've drafted. Um, and so for that, I'm disappointed in myself. You could have the real Muto Perez combo and you'd be oh. rolling. I have real Muto uh, Perez combo in a couple places. No, there you go. Bingo. That is bingo, the, bango, that bongo. is the combo. If I were to like, if I were drafting right now and I didn't leave a draft with JT Real Muto and Salvador Perez as my two catchers, I'd be disappointed in myself. I can guarantee you now, folks, February 8th at the rec room in the barf draft, Toby will not have both those catchers come uh, drafting. I will <laughs> not have uh, I will not have both of those catchers, and that's because it's an OBP league. And so Salvador yep. Perez not good in not OBP. That good. Not good. I will have Yasmani Grandal and Mitch Garver. Yes, there you go. There you go. Or Danny Jansen, great OBP, remember? Danny Jansen. I will have all the Danny Jansen. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we had that discussion. Um the ninth catcher off the board pick two eleven. Christian Vasquez. This is another one of those. There were so many breakout catchers last year, like the Mitch Garbers, Vasquez. I just don't buy, and Steamer sure as heck doesn't buy him. Uh, the playing time's down quite a bit. The power's down. Everything's down across the board, according to Steamer. I guess if he played the 138 games he played last year, these numbers would be pretty, pretty much the same. I just can't buy into it. Um, I don't know really what it is. Besides, I thought a lot of it was very fluky watching Christian Vasquez. Uh, last year and watching his numbers, his overall productions, like you look at his hard hit rate and everything along those lines, they're not great compared to what you'd expect from a big time power hitter. He has out of nowhere, his barrel rate went up from two to 6.2 to 
But other than that, everything was pretty much down. It's still a 370 Exwell Bacon. It's just not really great for a, a guy with the power he showcased. I don't have him as number nine. I actually have Yadier Molina as my ninth catcher off the board. But he's going ninth in NFBC. So what do you have on Christian Vasquez? Uh, so for Christian Vasquez, steamer projection, 439 plate appearances, a 262 batting average, 52 runs, 13 home runs, 54 RBI, and five stolen bases. It's actually good for about a $12 valuation from him and an ADP of 211. Um, he is, that's about a 7 to $8 pick, uh, $7.5 pick. So you're looking at $4 worth of value where he's going right now. Um, and I won't ruin a question we're going to address later on, but I am not beholden to projections. And uh, mm-hmm. I agree with you. I'm not buying into Vasquez. Um, I don't hate the ADP necessarily just because it is so low and because he does provide some stolen bases um, and a decent batting average, or he should at least. Uh, but I'm probably steering clear of him. Yeah, it's, a, it's a tough one. Yeah, yeah that's, a, that's fair. That's fair. That's the, we don't need to anger the Red Sox nation as they missed the postseason Never. last year. So Never. Just um, Dodgers. Yeah, just dodged all the time. Yep, just come at me at BD and Trick on Twitter. I'll be around. Um, the tenth and final catcher off the board at pick two thirteen. Whoa, it's shifted. Um, we'll go Uh-oh. with him. He's actually eleven. He's eleven. I'm not prepared. Now. I'm not prepared. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. We're just gonna, we're gonna pivot here. Eleventh off the board right now at two sixteen <laughs> is Carson Kelly of the Arizona Diamondbacks. And personally, if you're waiting on catchers. I am a big Carson Kelly fan. What we saw him do breaking out last year with the D-backs was very, very good. Talking to Scott Bogman of in this league as a big Diamondbacks guy himself, he believes in what they're seeing there. Uh, the average might not be great, but the power is legit. His patience at the plate uh, is outstanding. He walked 13% of the time last year for a young kid. That is very, very good. 40% hard contact rate. Uh, I think there's a lot to like where you get him at his draft, uh, draft pick and whatnot. What do you have on Carson Kelly? Yeah, so with uh, with Kelly, uh, his steamer projection is 390. Uh, 390 plate appearances, 249, 43 runs, 14 home runs, 46 RBI, and one stolen base. That's good for $7 uh, from a valuation perspective. And ADP of 216, that's about a 7 to $8 pick. So you're losing about uh, half a dollar, but let's just call it um, even uh, for Carson uh, for Carson Kelly there. Um, who, um, you know, was, yeah, I mean, the, the, the plate skills were definitely impressive. At least the plate discipline, um, was impressive on Kelly. He did have, uh, he did struggle a little bit more, um, in the second half, the K K rate was up, walk rate was down, average was way down at, uh, 207, um, for the second half. Um, but you know, he hit the ball really hard, 52%, uh, hit the ball in the air a decent amount, 34%. So, uh, not not a you know it's a it's an overall solid solid profile. It's a very catcher uh, profile, but I think given what you mentioned about him being a young guy, kind of a pro, some prospect pedigree, I think there is a little bit more upside than maybe some of the other guys who fall into this type of a of a profile. No doubt about it. The guy that jumped Carson Kelly is Omar Narvaez. Uh, I've talked about him for a couple years now. I'm a big fan of him. A lot of people don't like how his stat cast metrics don't match the production like his x stats but read um dvr derek van riper and i believe another guy from the athletic i forget who it is they did a very good breakdown of narvaez and why he outperforms 
his X stats. So go check that out. The other guys in the top 20, because we're going to give you two sleepers each after the top 10. I'm going to give you 11 through 20. You got Narvaez, Alfaro, Sean Murphy, Yadier Molina, Francisco Mejia, Travis DeArnaud, Tom Murphy, Buster Posey, Kurt Suzuki, Danny Jansen, and then the list goes on and on. We'll go back and forth. Toby will give one. I'll give one. We'll each give two sleepers after pick 10. As I've said before, when we kind of preview the, the preview of the preview for catchers, it's deeper than you think. It's not sexy. It's not great. But there's guys down here that if you happen to walk away on draft day, you won't be completely ruined. Um, who is your first sleeper? My first sleeper uh, to anybody who has ever listened to me before is not a surprise, and that's Yadi Molina. His steamer projection is uh, 440 plate appearances, um, 260, uh, 263, oh, good God. A 263 batting average, 47 runs, 12 home runs, 52 RBI, and four stolen bases. That's an $11 uh, uh, valuation. Uh, 242 ADP is about a $6 pick. Uh, So that gives him over $5 worth of of value. So he looks to me to be a really nice value where he's going, Molina. Um, He's going to be a guy that I I target as kind of my catcher too, probably. Um, a decent amount, although he is in a range of picks that I do like a couple guys. So who knows how my how my team comes together. But Molina is a guy, even as your catcher one, like if you missed out on all the other guys, uh, if Molina's sticking around there at 242, I don't think that's a terrible uh, combination there. Yeah, I'm a big fan of Molina. Like I said, I have my ninth catcher overall on my top 20 ranks that came out, uh, my the catcher primer that came out a couple weeks ago. At Fantasy Degen. So uh, I'm a big fan of Yaye. My first sleeper is Jorge Alfaro. He is a guy that I've just been in love with for a couple years now. And I was really bummed when he went to um, to Miami, but he outperformed everything. His barrel rate went up again. It's gone up at least a point basically each season up to 11.5%. The hard hit rate's awesome. Strikeout rate's still bad at 33%, but it dropped 3% from the year before. So baby steps. Uh, 452 X will bacon. And when you look at Steamer, I like what we're seeing here because where you're drafting him at, you're getting decent value of still a you know 245 average, but 14 to 15 homers. Counting stats won't kill you. I think that's a good floor. I think there's a ceiling as we saw 18 homers last year and a 262 average. So Jorge Alfaro is a guy I don't mind walking away with as he's still super young. People don't realize he's as young as he is. He'll be 27 in June. So the kid is still developing. I think there's a lot to like with Jorge Alfaro. A 385 career Babbitt, which is just incredible. And that's not to yeah. say that that's going to go down. I mean, nobody's ever questioned when he hits the ball uh, how how well he very hard. It. But um, yeah, I think that's a I think that's a that's a great shout. Um, you know, for for Alfaro, I'm I'm a I'm a fan of him this year. When you look at some of the trends, like what I think is is most interesting to me is the the plate discipline remains atrocious, but a three percent jump in contact mm-hmm. last year. And so if you can keep kind of making a little bit more contact, you know, that batted ball stuff is, is real nice. Bingo. Who's your next one? So my next one is a guy way down there. Um, it is Jacob Stallings, who is the catcher for um, the Pirates. The uh, Pirates. Um, his steamer projection is for 358 plate appearances, uh, 262 batting average, 35 runs, seven home runs, 38 RBI, and two stolen bases. So definitely a catcher two guy. That's worth uh, three to four dollars. 
Um, and it's a $1 pick at an ADP of 464. So essentially free. Um, so you're getting some, um, some value back on that pick between two and three dollars, uh, two and three dollars. Um, in terms of, uh, of a profit there. Um, the thing that I like about Stallings is going late in drafts, um, the 262 batting average, I think, um, is helpful when you look at just the skills overall. Um, you know, the, uh, the, the contact rate is, is uh, better than league average. Um, he's just a, kind of an overall uh, solid guy, doesn't do anything particularly um, uh, spectacularly. Um, but, um, and I should actually, let me just do, uh, I should do this. I should double check this before I say it because sometimes you hear things on podcasts and they don't end up being true on other podcasts. That is <laughs> yeah, other podcasts. Not, is absolutely not <laughs> the case on this podcast. But um, it was indicated that he was a good framer, and so the plate appearances may be a little bit low because we know Elias Diaz um, is not a, a great defensive catcher, and, really and he's struggled. Diaz. Diaz is gone now. Oh, he's gone. I should have known that because I looked at roster resource no, he, recently. He signed. He's the he back signed there. To- he signed today with um, with the the Rockies, I believe, is what I saw like a few hours ago. Signed with the Rockies. Yeah, it's kind oh, of a, actually. Man, that's kind of like a. <laughs> yeah, kind of. Kind of nice. I'm kind of into that. I kind of wish yeah. I didn't already make my fiftieth pick in this draft and hold. I just closed out like an. I'll hour double ago. check. I'll double check it for you. But right now, on roster resource pirates backups. Luke Molly. I'm not too worried about him. Okay, uh, so um, Stallings is a plus. Uh, is a plus framer. Um, and so that should help a young, uh, young, relatively young pitching staff there. Um, and so that's, I think, you know, just a, a guy who's going, who you can probably get with your last pick in a draft. If you're going to wait, 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 uh, to get your, get your catcher, uh, two. Um, and so Stallings is a guy that I like going late just because that batting average, um, is pretty nice. Um, going that, going that late and the counting stats aren't going to hurt you too bad among catchers. Who's your number two sleeper? Uh, my number two sleeper is Tom Murphy, and is not sleeping as much anymore as yeah. he became the everyday. He became the everyday guy in Seattle, and that price is going up. Uh, he's a 17 catcher off the board, picked 250, 259 right now. And I wrote about him in a couple things. The key with Tom Murphy, for those that paid attention at home last year, he absolutely destroyed left-handed pitching, just murdered left-handed pitching. But uh, right-handers had their way with him. And he actually had more at-bats versus righties than lefties. So if he can just improve the, the success rate just a little bit, just a little bit, he's going to be really, really good. He had 273 with 18 home runs last year in 76 games. Uh, Steamer has him for about 20 home runs, only a 217 average. They're giving him a massive blow in the batting average department. That 340 Babbitt maybe has something to do with it. But you look at the hard hit rates and all that good stuff, he just went off the board. And it might not be sustainable, but I believe that he's more sustainable than like a Christian Vasquez because Tom Murphy has the prospect pedigree for this. Yes, it was Coors Field. Yes, it was the Rockies minors, but they always predicted he'd be a good hitting, catching prospect. It just never worked in Colorado. He's getting his chance now. I think as the everyday guy in Seattle, Tom Murphy could be pretty nice. That draft price keeps coming up. When I wrote about him, he wasn't even a top 20 guy yet. Now he's up to 17. Can't wait to see where the helium continues to go. But if he stays below 15, I think you'll still get value with Tom Murphy at the catcher's position. Awesome. Yeah, I, I think I think Murphy's a good good shot there. The batting average risk is is real, but um, you know, he's gonna get a lot of run there in Seattle, I think. Yeah, Rocky signed Elias Diaz to a minor league deal. Yeah. Just reading that right now. Um, I'll be one all right. monitor. He can yeah. make it. 
if he sneaks in there, that's sneaky nice because Tony Walters hasn't been worth much of anything. So wouldn't worry too much about him. Uh, who is your bust at catcher? Because we have the same one, and I already told you my reasons why. I can't wait to hear yours. Well, you know, this one was actually a little bit tough for me because I don't, I don't really dislike anybody in particular, at least of the guys, um, you know, that we covered. Like, I just think that the cost isn't exorbitant for most of them, and I can see the upside. I can see the downside with a lot of them as well. Um, but I am going to go with Christian Vasquez, even though you know, my valuations have him as a $4 profit. Um, the home run total came out of nowhere. Like he more than doubled the, his home run total for his entire career last year. Like more than doubled it. He tripled his home run per fly ball rate to 16.9%, which is actually higher than the league average, which was around 15% last year. And this is a guy who historically is at about like 6% to like half of league average. So even if you were to bring that to half of league average again, that's 7.5%. So I don't believe in the power. Um, the skills actually um, eroded uh, for uh, Vasquez. Um, his contact rate was uh, went down. Um, so uh, let me just get this in front of me. So his contact rate went down 5.5%. Um, so he used to be an elite contact guy, no longer. Um, you know, it's still better than league average, but his hard hit rate is below league average. Um, he's hitting the ball in the, in the air a little bit more, um, but not a ton more. And so I think, you know, the, all those home runs that he hit, you know, maybe they were helped by Fenway, um, you know, by the, by the Green Monster. Maybe because he's become an expert in that. But I just see even the 13 that Steamer is projecting him at um, as maybe a little bit high. Um, you know, I might have that total around seven or, or eight. Um, I think even the batting average, he hit 276 this year. Um, but, you know, with the contact skills going uh, south a, a little bit, um, the K rate going up, you know, he's had other years where he's hit 227 and 207. His career average is at 256. And so I think something closer um, to that is more likely. And with all of those things going down, I think that also brings the counting stats down. The one thing that I do like is the average and speed combination for him compared to other catchers. And so I can definitely, uh, I can definitely see that and give him a, a little bit of that. Um, but he's not a guy that I'm going to be targeting, you know, at, at pick 211. You know, I'd much rather wait for Yadi Molina, um, Yadi Molina if I'm still looking for my catcher one at that point and, get, and grab him, you know, a, a round or so later. How about you? I know you have the same guy. What yeah, Vasquez is... Yeah, Vasquez is my guy. I said it earlier, the power, I don't believe in. He outperformed all of his X stats to like a just ridiculous level. Um, you mentioned how he basically tripled all kinds of stats that just don't seem to should be able to triple the way he did. So um, I think he's definitely a big caveat to the bouncy ball. That helped a ton. And I just don't see him ha doing it uh, again this season. I'll, I'll take the L gladly if he pulls this one off because uh, I'm not going to take my chances with Vasquez. My other bust, I guess, would be Mitch Garver. I explained to you why, because I just don't think he's the 30-plus home run guy that people think he is. But uh, that kind of relates to Vasquez as well. But those would be my bust of catchers. I don't need to go too much more because, yeah, we've pretty much said it all uh, a few times already on that one. Let's get into a couple more things before the listener questions here. When you're on draft day, who are a couple of your main targets at the catcher's position? 
Yeah, I mean, JT Rail Muto, well, Sal, Sal Perez is target number one. I think I want to have yeah. him um, on most, if not all, of my teams. And if I can, um, uh, if I can do that um, and uh, also get myself some JT Rail Muto, I do not mind doing that. I know a lot of people like to punt, not necessarily punt catcher, but wait a long time for catcher. I am not one of those people. I like to take advantage of you know, the, um, the consistency, if you will, of some of the top catchers. I don't know if that's the right word because there's, there's obviously variance, um, you know, in performance, but I just think that, um, you know, once you get to even like, you know, like even the Will Smith area, it just feels like there's a huge level of risk that you're taking on when you have those guys. Um, or I, I hate using the word risk, but I just feel like the, the floor is pretty darn low. And I just think that the, um, you know, a lot of times like we'll focus on replacement value and obviously like, uh, you know, uh, replacement value is replacement value. But I think there's something to, um, you know, the amount of fab that you use, like churning catchers and trying to find catchers and getting catchers who are on cold streaks. I just really like the guy having at least one guy. So like a JT Real Muto, Gary Sanchez or, or Sal Perez, who, um, you know, who is, uh, who is really able to, um, hopefully give you an advantage over everybody else in the league, um, with what they're able to provide. So I think those guys, and if I miss on, on, you know, maybe those top three, uh, catchers, then I think uh, the next likely guy that I'm, I'm going to target is probably Yadier Molina. Um, and I'll probably get him as my catcher too, in a number of different places. Um, if I miss out on, on somebody else as, as my catcher too. So, I'd say Real Muto, Perez, and Molina are the three guys that I really like um, heading into next year and are, are going to be on the most teams that I have. How about you? Yeah, I usually don't go early on catchers unless, A, it's a two-catchers league where value goes accordingly, or those yeah. the OBP ones where I really want to get one of those big guys we talked about that are kind of game-changers in the catcher's position. So in those scenarios, I go like a Real Muto or a Grandall early. But just in a standard, either one or two catcher league, not worrying about OBP, Salvi Perez is one of my top options. I do like Yachty, like I said. I have him at nine. I had Salvi Perez at six. Uh, I like Will Smith. But then my other guys are Omar Narvaez and Carson Kelly. So it's kind of probably Sal Perez, Narvaez, Kelly would be like my main targets. Um, it just goes to show you I, I, I'm okay waiting. It's not the greatest uh, looking picks in, to some people. But I, I'm, I'm still a believer in what Narvaez can do and going to Milwaukee. I think there's a lot to like is with his pull power in that ballpark. And then Carson Kelly, we talked about it already. I'm a huge believer in what this this kid can do. Still improving at the plate. Uh, the D-backs team is going to get better as they keep making a few moves here and there. And that line is going to be very, very strong. The rotation is going to be very good. So I, I like what Kelly can bring to the plate. But Sally Perez, I, I'm glad we're on the same page there because I've just been baffled. Like I thought I should have had him higher than six. And actually looking at my rankings right now as I talk, we these were released on December sixteenth. I'm going to have a whole different set of rankings. It's going to be the catcher's position just a jumbled mess. So um, yeah, Salvi Perez. I think it's the take home message that Salvi Perez is the guy that we want in a big way because where he's getting drafted at is just wrong. And like I said when we talked about him, I'm just baffled by the highest one seventy two, lowest one ninety nine. No one's really taking a gamble. I guess you don't need to when you see he's not going high. But, man, he, he should be going higher than at least Wilson Ramos, maybe Will Smith, maybe Mitch Garver. He should be going higher than where he's going right now, and that's quite surprising to me. Yeah. All right. We've talked about this a few times, actually, on different shows, 
And this is technically a listener's question, so I'm going to skip the last thing there, Toby, and we'll bring it up with the listener's questions if that works okay. for you. Yep. Because um, that is an actual question later on. So let's get to the listener questions. And let's start off with this two quotes, Yancey Eaton, two quotes. And also um, at Damomen76, D-A-M-O-M-E-N-76, had similar questions here. So we'll, we'll go together. But to quote Yancey Eaton, how the hell are we predicting projecting Mitch Garber. I have no idea what to do with him. A, I b- don't believe Yancey doesn't know what to do with him because Yancey's very smart. But B, thanks for asking. Um, we've kind of hinted at it. I'll let you have the floor again, Toby. But for me, I'm just not going to own Mitch Garber because his price tag is way too high for me because I don't believe he's a 30 home run guy. I've said it many times. So I won't have Mitch Garber unless somehow he falls to like the seventh or eighth catcher on the board, which he won't. Uh, how are you approaching Mitch Garber? Yeah, you know, I don't, I don't really quibble too much with, uh, with Steamer's kind of per plate appearance. Um, I generally don't like uh, believe the machines over, over your own intuition. So I think just from like, how do you project him? I think I would take uh, Steamer or when like ATC, I know, um, which Ariel Cohen does, uh, is coming out um, in a couple weeks on Fangraphs, and I assume the bat is going to be coming on. Yeah, almost about the same. Almost about the same time. I was talking okay, with Derek awesome. the other day. Yeah, okay, gonna that's cool. going to be like the best day of my life because then we'll, I can... We'll probably, we'll probably be doing like third base and we'll have all these projections while we'll the seven-hour podcast. <laughs> yeah, it'll be awesome. <laughs> and because I think the best thing to do is to take all those projection systems that you trust, that you believe in, and combine them into like kind of a meta projection because theoretically having a projection of... or having like a, a projection of projection, the weaknesses and the strengths of each projection system will hopefully kind of uh, work their ways out in combining them. Um, and so that is what I like to do. Uh, but I'll take the, you know, runs per plate appearance, home runs per plate appearance, RBI per plate appearance, et cetera, of uh, Garver. I know this isn't the question that Yancey's really getting at, but that's how I would start. And then from a plate appearance perspective, I mean, the 378 seems reasonable given what we saw the Twins do last year. And so what I'll be looking for in spring training and as drafts approach is really looking for indication from the twins about like what they might do at first base. Like, is there a clear, you know, um, is there a clear opportunity for Garver at first base to get some additional plate appearances? Um, If not, you know, again, like keeping it as is one thing that I did do, and I didn't do the full calculation, but on fan graphs for the rolling average um, graphs, uh, one thing that you can do is you can actually look up plate appearances over rolling games. And so like, um, uh, for instance, so like if you're going to project him to have like, let's say you project 90 games, then what I might do is look at like, okay, his 30 game rolling plate appearance, it's actually creeping up. You know, this year it was higher in the second half than it was the first half. So like over his last 30 games, he had 114 plate appearances. So if I think that he's going to have play 90 games next year, you know, then that works out to, you know, <laughs> this is going to make people happy, but that's like, like three hundred fifty, right? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So if you think he's going to get a hundred games, you know, so use some sort of um, projection, but I would be comfortable having him sit at around 400 plate appearances, unless I see something um, change with the opportunity at, at first base, which is very possible. Like if they indicate, uh, for instance, that they're going to work him in, you know, uh, some at first base to compensate there in addition to Sano maybe um, because Marwin's better at as a third baseman or something like that. I mean, we are part of the Marwin Gonzalez uh, fan club, but I would much rather have, as you mentioned before earlier, uh, Mitch Garver in there. So that's what I would do. Um, but again, like 
you know, use your judgment, like your news to figure out what that projection is, but just like, just keep it within reason. Because I think a lot of times what happens to us and the worst thing you can do, and I've said this before is, um, is overestimate, like use your like fan sense to be like, I love Mitch Garver. Why on earth wouldn't they give him like 500 plate appearances? Well, like there's three <laughs> catchers in the game that five, get, five, get 500 plate appearances, right? And so, yep, Salvador um, Perez, exactly, yeah. And so, just thinking about that, and just make sure it's within reason. And then you can even look at what does his projection do for him if it's at 450 versus versus 400. How do I feel about him compared to other guys given where he's going? Um, and then at the end of the day, you just gotta kind of figure out where you think that medium projection is for playing time and go with it and see what that, what that looks like uh, using the projections uh, per plate appearance on a per plate appearance basis and, and, and let that guide your judgment. But again, remember it's a game that's supposed to be fun. So if you're part of the Mitch Garver fan club and you want to be a little bit optimistic about him, you know, then go for it. And honestly, if you like Mitch Garver, this is not me being sarcastic. I'm actually being serious. You almost have to be optimistic. You have to think he's going to get the playing time and get the production like last year or better to take him where he's going. So that might factor into it as well. If you are a believer, you're going to want to be a little more optimistic than most. And the other thing I'll mention is I, I have failed to mention on the podcast with the steamer projections and a lot of projections, but some guys are a little more accurate than others. Just remember the, the, the playing time on steamer is just way guessing. It's like they're estimated, they're educated guesses, but they're nothing is set in stone. Like the counting stats are a lot more, more close to the actual result than the playing time probably is. So keep that in mind when you're checking all that out as well. All right, next listener question from at Cell Slager FL, C-E-L-S-L-A-G-E-R-F-L. I think they know the answer to this one by now if they've been listening to the whole show. (laughs) Any concerns with Salvador Perez coming back this season or will he be back to his usual self? I'll keep it simple. Yes, he'll be back to his usual self or maybe even better. I think a year off of those knees could help a ton. But that's my two cents. Um, Toby, what do you think? Because I, yeah, we, we are big Sal fans, I believe. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm a big Salvador Perez fan. Um, yeah. Uh, I don't have too many concerns. I mean, it's obviously a concern. He missed an entire season uh, with uh, a serious elbow ligament. He's a catcher. He needs to throw the ball uh, to be effective. And so there's certainly some concern. But I think the Royals will uh, make sure that he is ready and, and, and able uh, to throw um, before they put him in here in there. They value his bat. He's one of the best bats that they have in the lineup, which is um, saying something because while he is good, you know, he also has an OBP of like, you know, one person, you know, 0.001 above his batting average because he never walks. Um, but, you know, like I think I think the 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 risk is certainly worth uh, the reward. It's one of the best risk reward propositions I think I see in the fantasy in fantasy baseball drafts for 2020 uh, moving forward. Cause even if he doesn't work out like, yeah, it sucks to lose like a pick 185, but you'll recover from that. Um, and you're, you know, you'll end up with one of the crap catchers that everybody else in your league is getting who, uh, who waited a long time. So I definitely believe in it. Um, I think that he will, uh, he should be back to his usual self. Um, I think the projections show that and, uh, and, and hop on board the Sal train. Hop on board. Plenty of room. Let's go to at, at SP streamer or boy SP streamer. What are your projections for Francisco Mejia? I'm a big Mejia fan. He's one of my late round sleepers. You can look to target. 
uh, as a draft, like Tom Murphy and those type of guys. Mejia is my 19th catcher. He's 15th now in ADP, 246 overall as he keeps climbing the ADP ladder. Um, I think there's a lot to like. We saw in the second half of the season, he really got it going as he got regular at-bats. That's something to keep in mind. Early on, they kind of jostled him back and forth. But uh, the last 44 games of the season, he had 305, 14 extra base hits, including six home runs. So he really got it going in the second half. Um, his barrel rate was up big time uh, later in the season. So there's a lot to like, I think, with what he's doing. People forget he's never really been a good defensive player. That's always been the concern with him, but always been a very good offensive prospect. And Austin Hedges is still there to be a pain in the rear end. But Mejia should get the regular playing time. I, I honestly think this is kind of where I said – if you like Garber, you need to be optimistic. I think if you like Mejia, you should be optimistic. And the projection of 92 games, 374 plate appearances, I think he plays more than 92 games. I think he's their regular catcher that plays at least two-thirds of the season back there. And if he plays two-thirds of the season, he's hitting you over 15 homers. And I think that 257 average is is probably good, but I wouldn't be shocked if he's higher than that. You look at the minors, very good batting average guy. I like Francisco Mejia this year. If they can put him in a good spot in the middle of the order to be a run producer, that lineup with Fernando Tatis, Mejia played a lot of his games when Tatis was out. So keep that in mind also. So that dynamic bat was out of the offense. You have Machado and all the other weapons they're putting together there in that very good young team. I think Mejia is one of those guys where maybe he doesn't have it. He disappoints because he's kind of been up and down of late. I think he takes the next step. He's going to be uh, 24 in October. He's 24 all season then. I like Mejia. What do you think about Mejia going into this year? Yeah, I mean, first of all, thanks for the question um, at SB Streamer. That's Mike Simeone. I know you had him on the program uh, earlier. Very, very smart guy. Yeah, definitely. I really enjoyed uh, your conversation with him as well as um, with Derek uh, from uh, from Baseball HQ. Um, uh, just some really good podcasts this week, Bubba. Nice work. Thank you. Thank um, you. Uh, so uh, to answer the question specifically, I don't do my own projections. I know that may not have been his question, but I just wanted to emphasize this. Like I rely on Steamer and other folks to do the projections just because, you know, unless it's something that you really love to do, I would spend your time on trying to figure out where the projections might have gotten wrong on certain players than actually creating my own projections. But that's just me. So I'll just put that out there. But Steamer has him at 257, uh, 40 runs, 13 home runs, 46 RBI, two stolen bases in those 374 plate appearances uh, that Bubba mentioned. I might not be as optimistic. Um, you know, like Austin Hedges is clearly the superior defender uh, than mm-hmm. uh, Mejia is. And so I don't think he's going to work out to get like the majority of the majority. You know, he's not going to be like, you know, a lot of times it's like a two to one deal. I don't think it's going to be quite a two to one deal for Mejia versus Hedges. I think it's a little bit uh, closer. But as you mentioned, he seemed to get better as the year progressed. Um, he lowered his ground ball rate, which was really uh, nice. It's in the mid 30s. Um, now, which is which is a great place for it to be. He does have one of the worst plate approaches in baseball, and it was getting worse. I think over the last 30 games, his O swing was over 50%. It was like 53%. And so that's not good for the quality of contact that he's going to make on a consistent basis, but it does help keep his uh, K percentage lower because he's just swinging at everything. And so even if his contact rate is lower, he's swinging the ball, he's swinging at more pitches. And so it's going to keep the... the, the um, uh, the K rate lower than it would be otherwise if he was swinging and missing at the same rate. Um, but, um, you know, he it hasn't necessarily translated that super low K rate that we saw in the minors for him. And the batted ball quality has been pretty poor from him. He's got a below league average hard hit rate, and his barrel rate was just 3.3%. 
uh, barrels per plate appearance last year, which is very low. But development isn't linear. We've seen it so many times with guys that something just clicks. And Mejia has the prospect pedigree, so it's certainly possible. But I'll go with the projection is kind of the median point where I expect him uh, to be. I think Steamer's right on there. Sounds good. We'll go to Mike Curland. Mike underscore Curland. The base is loaded pod. He's with SP Streamer on there. Uh, thoughts on Steven Vogt in Arizona? I can't seem to quit him. And what talks of getting outfield run on occasion, so there's a couple passes, some semi-regular at-bats initially. I'll start with it. I was hoping he'd go back to the Giants because he's actually very productive as a backup. I don't know what Arizona's going to do because they're going to play Carson Kelly a lot for that respect. But in the outfield, they seem kind of crowded after the Cole Calhoun signing. So there might be talks of Steven Vogt in the outfield. I'd be kind of shocked if they put him in the outfield because right now they're projected to have Calhoun, uh, Peralta, and Cattell Marte. I guess if Marte moves to the infield, you could see him there. Um, roster resource does have him catcher outfield eligible. You still have Vargas. You have uh, – they don't even have Josh Rojas up here anymore. That's a bummer. Um, that's a real bummer. Tim LaCastro's up here who was a hit-by-pitch machine last year. I don't think Vote's going to get a ton of time out there. Maybe he does. I wouldn't be counting on it too much. And without those at bat, just as a backup catcher to Carson Kelly, who should be the regular, I don't see much love for Steven Vogt, sadly. What about you? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I think in a, in a DC really late on, I think Vogt's going uh, pretty late. I should. He's going ahead of, of Jason Castro, though, which I just don't get. Uh, well, Castro will push up. I think a lot of this reflects yeah, the true. Sign. But yeah, 471. Um, yeah, I mean, I. I'm not. I'm not sure um, that I'm going to be heavy on him. Like you said, like he does have, he does list him as catcher and outfield. Um, uh, but I think there's a yeah, Lacastro's ahead of him, and then there's a Vargas as well, who's also listed as an outfielder. And while he did have a DRS of 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 one in his uh, seven outfield games last year for. Uh, the Giants, I think for a competing team, they're not going to want to uh, put him out there yeah. um, defensively for uh, for the pitchers. Um, you know, he may get a little bit of run with Carson Kelly. He certainly made some changes uh, last year, dropping the five ball percentage by 9%, um, all the way down to 27%, which is really nice. But he really did a major shift. He dropped his contact rate 8%. So, you know, like some of the improvements are there uh, around batted ball quality. Um, but... I just, I don't know. I don't have him on any of my DCs, if it if it says anything. He also asked, uh, which catcher not currently a starter do you see becoming one as a difference maker? I think it's very difficult because one thing we've talked about in the past with catcher is there's so many platoons now. So there's not that many non-starters that aren't behind like elite guys. So in order to become a starter, they almost have to get an injury. Um, if I had to pick one, I, one I'm a fan of is Victor Caratini of the Cubs, but that would require Contreras to get traded or hurt, which is tough to say. But if Caratini can get regular at-bats, we saw in 95 games last year, he had 11 homers, hit 266. The guy's legit, good power, good batting average. I just don't know where all the at-bats And he plays first base and catcher, which is huge. So if Rizzo gets hurt or uh, Contreras, so technically Caratini can start at first base and get you catcher eligibility, he'd be my guy. But to me, it's super tough. Do you have anybody off the top of your head? You know, I am going to uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna go out there. I'm gonna put it out there. Elias Diaz, if he sticks with the Rockies, that's <laughs> it's not a bad one. If he can somehow make that squad, he'd be dangerous because he's like a, a 
a gap hitting double hitting machine. He'll yeah, work he's, field. He, he really is. I mean, he's not a bad hitter by any stretch of the imagination. Mm-hmm. So he'd be a guy if I was in a DC uh, that I would I would take a shot on late on um, because um, yeah, I think he, I think he's a decent hitter that Elias Diaz and um, and the Rockies they have uh, they have Walters and then do they still have Ionetta? He's still um, a free agent, I think. He's gone. Let me pull it back up. I just had it here a second ago. It's it's Walters, and they had someone else. Uh, to, Let's see. I'm, I'm looking too. This is a race. It's a race. People who are listening yeah, to this podcast it's, list it's of for Walters, Drew, Drew Butera. Drew Butera. Yeah. yeah Elias so, Diaz can beat out Drew Butera at least. Yeah. Let's be real definitely. about that. <laughs> yeah. Also, although I'm sure Butera is like an excellent framer, and he's you know, almost um, 37. He's yeah. he's. My- my age. I'm sorry. I probably wouldn't be catching. <laughs> yeah, man. If a guy, isn't it sad that we reached the age where? Like, yeah, it's I, I just saw it. I was gonna make fun of him. I was gonna make fun of him, and I'm like, I'm actually like two months older than him. So yeah, that totally sucks. <laughs> All right, that's that's it. That's Back to the podcast. Diaz, yeah. Yeah, I like Diaz. Uh, let's go to at Zach Roto. A very very smart guy with their fake teams. Uh, do you place value on being able to handcuff at a lower cost and there? being a clear handcuff in NFBC DCs. Example, Grandal loses value for me because it will cost a decent pick to get McCann, and he may be traded. But Contreras' backup Caratini is way cheaper and locked in. What's your thoughts? Um, this is a great question. I mean, just from a strategic standpoint in DCs, uh, not really for me. Um, I think having a decent handcuff is, is a nice... Um, it's a nice luxury, but it's not necessarily something that I am going to base who my catcher one is off of. Like in the example that he gave, I think that Grendel, just his, his track record and consistency uh, separates him from a guy like Contreras. And, um, you know, and so I, I would much rather have Grendel on my team than I would necessarily Contreras. But if you think that they're pretty close, then that could be uh, something that does Um, provide a little bit of separation but I also think that there's not a ton of examples of guys that you of backup catchers that you really want um, you know that you really like want to want to be relying on like if your catcher one goes down like chances are you're going to be in a little bit of rough uh, shape so generally like my strategy in the DCs have been to get you know like I, I like to get two pretty decent catchers um and then I'd rather much rather go after like some back um you know, rather than go up, go after some backups, go after some other catcher ones. Like a Jacob Stallings is a guy that I mentioned who I've got uh, in another number of places. Like Troy Walters is a guy that I picked up in my most recent draft, who's the number one for the Rockies. Um, I'd rather go after a guy uh, like that who's going, you know, pretty deep in drafts, maybe a little bit ahead of where other backups are going, um, but still gives me like you know three or four options at catcher that I feel fairly confident of uh, about. But if a guy does have um, you know, uh, uh, I do go after handcuffs. Like if a guy, you know, if I have a guy, like if I have Yadier Molina as one of my catchers, you know, I'll go after Kniser, you know, as long as they're decent. But if they're just like a bad catcher, then I won't even go after the, the handcuffs. So I think like treat it a little bit like, um, you know, position eligibility, I think would be a good comparison. Like I don't make a decision based solely on position eligibility, but if it's pretty close to a tie, then that might be something that, that break, breaks the tie for me. Yeah, it's hard to uh, have a roster spot for a backup catcher. Sure, DCs, you have 50 spots, so I get it. But it's like the idea in football, do you get the backup running back? No, you probably get a starter from another team, like you're saying. So I'm with you. 
I don't see myself doing it very much unless there was like, you know, when it was Tyler Flowers and Kurt Suzuki. Yes, that made a ton of sense. I get it. Uh, situations like that. But for me, if you're doing backups, it's almost as if you could do daily roster changes. If, if you're not locking in daily roster changes, it's very tough for me. Um, at We Oyster Fighter, that's a heck of a name. I like that a lot. Uh, should catcher even truly be a priority during the draft? Or should you just see who is there for your last pick? Now, we've talked draft strategies with catcher a few times. And that was the, one of the questions I passed up because I knew we had a listener mm-hmm. question on it. Um, I kind of mentioned earlier, I don't really reach to the top unless the value is there. I kind of get my Salvador Perez's or my, you know, later in my top 10 guys, or I'll just kind of punt it towards the end. That's how I go about it. If it's a two catcher league, I want to make sure I get at least one pretty good guy and then I'll fill it in from there. Uh, Toby, why don't you let everybody know how you go about the catcher's position in drafts? Yeah, first of all, how dare you at We Oyster Fighter? Should you just leave catcher? Should it even be a priority? No, I'm just yes. kidding. Um, it should out. It should be a priority. I mean, everything, right? You're trying to you're trying to maximize um, how good your team is and make your team be the best one possible. And so, if you ignore a position or just keep it to the last minute, then then um, you know then that then that's not going to happen. But I think a lot of it depends on the league settings and the depth, right? Like the deeper the league, the more catcher positions. Like in catcher two leagues, I think it's a very important. Um, in catcher one leagues, it's a little less important. And also like. In a 10-team league versus a 15-team league, you know, it really depends on where you see, um, you know, like tiers is, is used a lot of times, but like those tiers, tiered value, right? Like, because I think after the top three catchers in this year's crowd, like at least if you believe the projections, there's a pretty significant drop-off to that next kind of uh, tier of guys, right? Like we're talking, you know, 20 plus, uh, you know, in some categories, like of counting stats. And so... Um, being able to identify when those are happening and when that that maximizes how good your team is, both in terms of the value that you're generating with the picks that you're getting, but then also like if you're playing Roto or whatever you're playing, that it actually makes your team better, I think is really, really k- critical. Um, in single catcher leagues, it d- deserves less priority, like I mentioned, than it does in two catcher leagues. Um, in two catcher leagues, I generally prioritize having at least one very good catcher um, or like on, in the, in the, up in the, kind of elite catcher range, and then another solid one. Um, I think the top catchers, um, uh, I think like for me, what it really is about is um, is uh, there's nothing worse like than having um, to churn a bunch of uh, roster spots um, on catcher, use up a bunch of fab on catcher, knowing that their catchers are, are going to be um, god-awful. And so like part of it is probably just the psychological assurance of, uh, of that. But then I also think that the difference between, um, you know, some of the best catchers and some of the catchers who are just a little bit further behind them is pretty significant. So like um, an example would be like, uh, you know, if you're, um, you know, the profile of like a guy who has 80 runs, 30 home runs, 80 RBIs, and a 250 batting average. That's something that, like, I'm not going to draft early in a draft because you can get it later on in a draft. Like, those profiles and that upside at those positions is something you can get later on in drafts. Very, very rarely will you find a catcher that will go from an unheard of to kind of like an upper echelon guy, right? Like, you know, there are the Mitch Garvers of the world who, you know, will kind of make that jump in a single year, but whether they can do it consistently or not is a different thing. 
I feel like a JT rail Muto, like there's nobody I can look at at the current crop of catchers and be like, somebody else is going to be able to come close to him outside of maybe Gary Sanchez and Yasmani Grundahl. I just don't see it happening. Whereas I believe some of those profiles that you can get in the same rounds that you're drafting, like a JT rail Muto or a Gary Sanchez are available later on. Um, and so, you know, um, I just feel better about, um, about doing that. Um, and so for that reason, I generally do prioritize getting at least one catcher that I like and then looking for value later on. So whether that's Sal Perez or Yadier Molina, you know, getting somebody that I feel okay about as my second catcher as well. Um, I just really hate, um, and it's happened a couple of times already, just like when you just get the bottom of the barrel, you know? Um, and so everything should be like a decision by decision basis, like about which catcher exactly you get compared to what you need. Um, on your roster and and what's available um, in other positions. But um, I generally like to be pretty short up at catcher. All right. Uh, at the SPUS21, S-P-U-S-21, when looking at auction drafting, how would you consider allocating percentage of draft capital to get an advantage at the position? I, for one, don't play a lot of auctions, but I know when I do do auctions, I don't worry much position by position. It's more offense and like, hitting and pitching. And if I want the best, like a Rio Muto, I pay for him and I go get value elsewhere, kind of what you were just saying uh, with your description of drafting pictures. I can get this profile in the outfield later for cheaper. You can do that in auctions as well. So that's how I would do it. I wouldn't set a certain money aside. I'd set more of a target of what players do I want to leave the draft with aside. That's how I would go about it. How would you go about it for auctions? Yeah, I, I, I agree 100% with what you said. I don't really play a lot of auctions. Um, so again, probably not the best person to respond. I do think uh, one person that, that uh, does a podcast, uh, Ariel Cohen, um, does a podcast with uh, Ruben Guy, and they have um, uh, guests on uh, frequently, uh, the TGFBI podcast. They do talk a lot about uh, auction strategy and valuations in particular. So uh, I might um, uh, ask him, it's at ATC. And why uh, Ariel also does the ATC projections, uh, which are really great. But I'm right there from a theory perspective with uh, what what Bubba mentioned, just about like you know you want to be going after value regardless of what the position is. And so if you you're going to miss out on some value if you just say like oh I'm only going to spend five bucks here or I'm only going to spend twenty bucks on catcher, whatever it is, you want to be looking at you know the combination of value and roster construction that allows you to be have a pretty balanced team. Uh, that competes in all of the categories. And so I think that needs to be your number one aim. Um, so uh, go after the value and don't necessarily worry too much about what the position is. Just make sure that you have that valuation for each one of the players um, that you feel like they're worth um, worth getting. So, yeah. And we'll, we'll kind of, I'm gonna, I'll, I'll come back to the next one, but it's kind of another auction question here. At W Baker 06 or 0621, He'd be interested in draft strategy for only for only leagues, A only, N only. Uh, would you rather do two one dollar catchers, or would you rather pay for Gary Sanchez? Remember, it's an AL only league. Yeah. Is, it, is, is it important to at least have one decent catcher? Thanks. Um, I, I, I'll let you have the floor in a second. I kind of said it earlier. Two catcher leagues, I kind of want to have at least one good one. You don't have to though, especially in the auctions. It comes down to value. It's like if you can go and get a, you know. Uh, there's got to be cheap guys out there. Go get James McCann if you think he's going to catch a lot. I don't. Yes, Sal Perez. Yes, Sal Perez is a lot cheaper than Gary Sanchez. Like, there's other guys you can take gambles on if you want. I get your point with Gary Sanchez. 
Um, I'd want a good one, but yeah, Sal Perez would be very good and some other options there. How would you go about it? Because I know a lot of guys, you watch the tout drafts and all these, they'll leave with two $1 catchers. Yeah. Yeah, well, if I was even, I feel even more unqualified to answer this question because not only do I not really play auctions very much, but I also uh, don't play uh, only leagues that much. Um, you know, I, um, yeah, the only thing I can say is, you know, uh, it seems like in an NL only league or an AL only league, like you really have to be hyper-focused on uh, maximizing value because there's just such little talent at uh, most positions. And so, uh, yeah, I'll, that's all I'll say on that. Like, I really don't feel like I, I can do a good job of answering that. But again, you know, reach out to folks um, who play a little bit more auction. Maybe some of the folks that, uh, that, that Bubba mentioned who play in like the, the labor, labor auctions or the tout wars auctions, um, they might be better folks to, uh, to, to aim that question at. And, and I'm sorry, um, at W Baker 0621, I really wish that I could answer these, ask these questions or answer these questions a little bit better for you, but I uh, really appreciate your question. And my, one of my goals this year is maybe to do an auction league or two, um, just so that I can get a little bit better, um, at that specific piece of it. Um, at Isaac Klein 17, my answer, his question is Alfaro breakout. My question is, yes, I'm a big Jorge Alfaro fan, one of my sleepers. Breakout, that's a strong word, but I think he's going to have a very good season. I think he's worth his draft price, and I think he will outperform his draft price. So I'm a big Jorge Alfaro fan. What say you, Toby? Yeah, I think I mentioned this earlier. Like, um, I think I'm I'm fine with Alfaro this year. I think, like like Bubba mentioned, like I think the where the cost that you have to pay um, isn't horrendous. The batted ball quality is amazing and really helps compensate for that low uh, that low contact rate. And he also swings at every goddamn pitch that that comes by. And so, like mm-hmm. for that reason, he um, is going to uh, uh, end up with you know a lower K rate than you might expect with the contact rate. Um, that he's that he's got and so um, some things just like looking at his rolling average graph uh, the contact rate did improve uh, towards the end of last year so over his last four 40 games he had his best contact rate of his career so far over 40 games that's about 67 percent overall and 80 percent in the zone Um, he continued to hit the ball hard Um, he continued to hit ground balls about the same pace so some good some fairly good signs uh, for Alfaro because that contact rate is really key. The batted ball quality um, isn't really uh, isn't really the issue. Yes, definitely. There we have at zero eight has two questions. First, how's the Darnold Flowers split going to look in Atlanta? From what we've always seen with Atlanta, it's almost 50-50, if not sixty forty. I don't think Travis Darno is going to get all the playing time. Let's put it that way. Flowers going to be very much involved. That's my opinion. The best catching catcher defensively. He's there for his bat. Flowers a little more for his glove. They're going to split it pretty regularly. I have a, I have a hunch. We don't know for now. That's my two cents. That's one reason why I've kind of been off Darno this whole time. Because, A, I think what he did last year was kind of the best case scenario. And, B, I don't think the playing time is going to be as good as people want. I could be totally wrong. What's your opinion? Yeah, I'm going to assume that it's going to be a 50-50 split, um, just like it's been um, in Atlanta the past few seasons. I don't think there's any reason to believe unless we hear differently um, in spring training uh, that that's going to be different. I think that significantly limits Diarno's value. I'm not going to own him anywhere because I think he's still um, going pretty high. Actually, I'll own him in my 
20 team dynasty league just because he's on my team. Yeah, he's going about pick 254 <laughs> right now. Yeah, so I just think like I'd much rather have Yadi or Molina uh, than Diarno. Um, there's also the, you know, yes, he was good uh, last year in bits and pieces, but he also has a pretty significant injury history that he's dealing with. So um, I'm going to I'm going to steer clear of him at the price that he's at right now. The other catcher question from WAP08. Also thoughts on Buster Posey's NFBC ADP of 275. Yes, bad never to drop significantly, but Babbitt was career low with not much change in his hard hit rate or exit velocity. Could be a steal for average in a position where average is hard to find. Like you said earlier, you're not usually looking at average for catchers. That's why we talked about Wilson Ramos. I get where he's coming from. Buster Posey is kind of a shell of his former self. And that's just the way I'm going to say it. It's, it's ugly out there right now. Average is great, but he's not going to do much of anything else for you at all. Um, I probably am not going to go there. I'd rather get Robinson Torino's uh, 60 picks later, but uh, what's your thoughts? Yeah, I'm not really interested in Buster Posey at all. I think the steamer projection for the last few years has been, and just projections in general, have been kind of overestimating him just because, you know, he had such a good run there. Um and the skills haven't changed that dramatically, but I think last year was really the first year that we saw started to see the major change. I mean, like obviously the power has been gone for a while. It's really hard to roster a guy that has such low power unless they're providing a lot of batting average. But some of the concerning trends that I see, his uh, contact rate dropped by five and a half percent last year, which is huge for a guy that's you know made a living off of contact. Uh, he chased more than he had uh, ever in his career, at least since his rookie year in 2009 when he had 17 plate appearances. Um, his hard hit rate was down. Um, he hit more ground balls, which is really bad news for a super slow dude. So I think that it's, you know, uh, it's time to, uh, to retire the drafting Buster Posey and having any expectations for him. Uh, just so Paul Martin knows that Paul the Martin, we already answered the question, but uh, just so people know what it was. He wants to inquire on the overall approach in two catcher leagues. What's your threshold for reaching on top guys? And what stat pro profiles do you seek out to fill your roster spots? We didn't really look at the stat pro profile part, but do you have anything to say on that? Because we already talked about kind of our drafting strategy part. Yeah, we talked generally. I don't think I, I reach on anybody really. I mean, I think Real Muto, again, um, you know, the value that he generates is worthy of a top, you know, is worthy of, being picked 45 or 46, like I drafted him in a 15 team league. So I don't view that necessarily as reaching. I just view it as part of like my strategy for building a team. He's the only guy that I'm really willing to go that high on. I think with Sanchez, Grandal at this point, I wasn't so earlier. Um, and all those guys in the middle, I'm just waiting to see like who kind of falls to me. And then with Perez, um, it depends. If I'm still looking for, at, for my, my number one catcher, like I might have set the low for Perez at like around 150 or so. Um, so I'm willing to reach for Sal Perez just because I think it's still not technically reaching if you think that you're generating a lot of value from the pick. So I wouldn't reach on anybody. I think Real Muto is worth getting a really high. I think I'm waiting for the other guys to fall to me or I'm going for Sal Perez or, or Yadi Molina in a, in a worst case scenario. And last question from at Com Center Sports. With catcher eligibility, he has hopes and dreams riding a new fat guy athlete, Williams Astadio. You could see him getting some time at first base, second base catcher this year. What's your take on Williams Astadio? I've always been a big fan of Williams Astadio. 
it's always been a playing time thing. I'm still not sold that the playing time's there with all the new acquisitions they keep making. If he were to get pretty good playing time, he's a if you want to talk batting average, he's going he's pick three seventy one. He's almost a hundred picks after Posey. Probably the same, if not better, batting average, and might have more power than Posey right now. So I would love Williams Astadio with playing time. It's just tough to tell if he has it. What about you? Yeah, I think with Astadio, I actually don't mind the strategy of drafting him in DCs. I did this in one of my leagues where I missed out on one of my top guys for the uh, for catcher two is drafting him and then drafting a decent uh, catcher three because I think if Astadio does get access to playing time wherever he's playing. Um, he could be incredibly valuable uh, for the catcher position. So I don't mind doing that. I think in standalone leagues um, or in NFBC formats, which we generally talk about, like I, I'm not, I don't, I don't feel great about getting Astudio because I feel like I need to draft three catchers at that point, just because of, um, you know, the playing time, not necessarily being what it be, what, what, what we think it's going to be. Um, again, we'll know more at spring training, but at this point in time, he just seems like a guy who may get one or two starts a week. Um, and I don't think that's enough, even though, you know, he does what he does to, uh, to generate, um, to generate some value. So I think he's better in a DC format or one with a deeper bench, but in a shallower bench, I probably won't be targeting him unless I find out new information between now and then. Totally agree. He's going to be very, very good whenever he finally gets unleashed. I love me some El Tortuga. So uh, get some Willie Dusty. He's, he's, he's fun, he's good for the game, and he can actually hit the snot out of a baseball. So yeah. lots to like about that. But, uh, Toby, that Bubba. wraps us up. Bubba, it doesn't wrap us up. What else do we have? We got one more question. Oh, I missed it. That came in Dang. late. And I wanted to answer this one. Normally I'd just let it go by, but – I actually was doing this the other day and it's kind of weird that the question was asked, but when you look at league winners in the NFBC last year, how many of them owned one of the top three drafted catchers by ADP? Uh, this is from at uh, co Mac Doe, um, Cody McDonald. Um, and so I actually looked not at all the teams that won, but I looked at the top 10 from last year, which is, it's, which is a great exercise to do as you enter draft season, actually is go and look at the top 10 in the NFBC main event and look at the drafts and look at how many guys they missed on outside of the first guy because his draft was just insanely good. But like everybody (laughs) missed a ton of guys. They missed a ton of guys. And it's just a good example of how bad we are at drafting. And I don't say that to be like, you know, but like seriously, like we're not that good at predicting a single season performance from players. And so I think we need to think about that as we like go, go into drafts and understand that we're going to make mistakes and be okay with that. But one thing that I found it really interesting is I can't remember if it was three or four, but three or four of the teams had JT rail Muto on them. Nice. And so it's confirmation bias a hundred percent, but that was interesting. <laughs> and the other thing that was super interesting to me is that every single team, well, not every single team, eight of the 10 had what I would consider a guy who was an ACE. So like a, like a, a legit elite ace. So like a, a Verlander, DeGrom, or Cole. I think eight out of the 10 teams that finished in the top 10 had one of those guys. And then the other two teams uh, ended up waiting on pitching but drafted Steven Strasburg. And I think they got – and Shane Bieber, I think, or something like that. And so it just reinforced my belief 
in the pocket aces, but, but since we haven't <laughs> talked about it, more, more it, confirmation. Is that like the thing that makes the difference is not having the guy who gets you like the 350 ERA or whatever. Like you need those guys, but what you need to really, really do super well in those types of competitions is elite, elite production from starting pitchers. Yep. Um, yeah. And so, anyways, that's going to be my confirmation bias point uh, of the night. Um, but yeah, I just thought that was really interesting because it was kind of creepy because literally like, I think it was yesterday <laughs> I was like, look, I was researching that just to like, look at it and, and, and see who they drafted. And just like, it's really encouraging though, because there's so many misses. There's so mm -hmm. many misses, even early on. Like I know from personal experience, like having had a terrible beginning to my draft and still doing well in the main event last year, there were people who had equally, if not worse drafts who ended up being higher because the guys that they drafted later on in drafts hit like yep. that's what you need to have happen right so anyways yep. i'm done i'm done we've gone a long time yep hey just over two hours on catchers i can't wait till first base next oh week. man it's gonna be awesome it's gonna be good it's every gonna be day awesome. is awesome on the bubba and the batfoot podcast it is and i'm, I'm pumped it's, it's fantasy baseball season I, I i do find it funny on twitter all of a sudden these football guys are ready for baseball now we've been doing this for quite some time uh, welcome to the party and, and enjoy but uh it's fun catchers in the books uh if you guys have any questions toby's on twitter at bathroom crazy i'm at being intric and we'll be back with you guys for the first base preview uh, should be next week when we get back to that one but it's gonna be a fun season toby and i'm looking forward to it any final thoughts no i'm not gonna add anything to this two-hour <laughs> podcast <laughs> outstanding so everybody this was uh bubba and the bat flip episode 18 catchers preview for the 2020 fantasy baseball season catch y'all later that is going to wrap us up for episode 109 of the bat flip crazy podcast thank you so much for listening if you made it through all two hours of that catcher preview please do give yourself a pat on the back um, really, really appreciate uh, you guys listening. I do hope that was helpful. I think we covered a lot of ground, uh, Bubba and I, but it was a lot of fun, and I hope uh, I hope that came through on the podcast. All right, as always, thank you so much for listening. Best of luck with all of your fantasy baseball research. Take care and be kind to one another.